all day. You might have missed it. President Trump is actually filing a lawsuit. Uh, he finally got around to it, and he basically named everybody. Uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, some FBI people, uh, Rodney Joffe's named, and, and others as well. So uh, a lot of questions kind of arose, and there was a lot of, a lot of excitement. And then you know people started looking at the lawyers he hired, and we'll kind of touch base on a little bit of everything. So right off the bat, I mean, it, you know, a lot of people are asking for takes on, well, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And, and the answer is kind of dependent on what your expectations are and, and what you're really interested in and seeing. So, you know, if this is just a shot across the bow, well, you know, point made. I mean, it's more than sufficient for that. I mean, if it's just intended to be something uh, to turn up interest in the media and a big discussion point out there, well, that's that's a brilliant move. I mean, the finally is more more than sufficient to do that. And John Durham will have filings in a couple of weeks. And, you know, having a few stories out today might have, uh, you know, perked up some ears a little bit, especially with the RICO uh, civil case being filed. So uh, if that was the intention, I mean, that'll that'll definitely be sufficient to do that. Um, you know, if it if the intention is to actually get to the discovery phase, there might be a few issues. And I'd definitely leave that point open for some of the lawyers to come in and talk a little bit more about the legalities of the case. Because as I said, I mean, there's a lot of people named in this filing and I know there are some deficiencies and a couple that some of the lawyers pointed out to me and, and DMS um, first off would be with the Rico case. There has to be predicate offenses and the filing doesn't really uh, go into that. And the, the statute of limitations is really four years. So you're looking for predicate offenses that occurred in the last four years. And the filing really doesn't talk about any, right? Everything it talks about is way back in 2016. So, you know, they can do an amendment and they can do like an addendum and, and add in some of that information, but they're going to want to do that pretty quickly here, I, I would assume. And again, like I'm going to leave that wide open and hopefully we have, you know, ship or King come in and uh, I'll let them kind of enunciate what all that means. I mean, there's plenty of predicate of uh, events, I think within the four year statute of limitations. So, you know, you think about like the July 2018 letter that was sent to Congress from the FBI where they basically said, yeah, there's nothing wrong with Danchenko. We found him to be honest. And by that point he had been interviewed like seven times and there was, there was no basis whatsoever to, to offer any conclusion that Danchenko was being honest or um, that any reporting was substantiated. I mean, there's nothing there in July, 2018. So I might look at something like that as a predicate event offense. Um, I'm sure if we really thought about it, there's probably a few others. Um, and again, I'm going to leave that point for lawyers to kind of get into, because that's that, that's really not my area of, of expertise. So um MB, I mean, did you have any thoughts on the on the filing today? Is there anything came to your your mind? Well, my first thought was I had no idea that you could sue somebody civilly for a RICO. That to me was like, wow, that that's really interesting. So, you know, definitely from a non-lawyer's point of view, it's okay, well, what are the details of all this? You know, how serious is it? Is it really something that has legs? And uh, I think King pointed out that it was like triple fines if they were actually, you know, found liable or, you know, if, if, it, if the lawsuit actually happened, 
that it would be three times the fine. So, you know, the money to these people doesn't really matter, but it's just interesting that that is something that you could do in a court. Um, the other thing about Rico that I always picked up from, from King and Ship and other people is that it's a really complicated thing to prove criminally. I mean, it's not, it's always like, Oh yeah, Rico, Rico. Everyone says that that's a charge, you know, for all the spy gate, that's always been something that people have been, you know, screaming for. And the, the former prosecutors always seem to be like, well, no, it's really hard to prove. It's complicated. You're almost always better off, you know, doing something else with conspiracy or other charges because Rico is just, you know, it's not this, well, these people conspired to do something and therefore it's Rico. So I'd be really interested as well to hear, is it going to be that difficult in a civil case to prove? I assume it's not going to be easy. And how serious is this, is this uh, case or is it just, you know, maybe it's just Trump and his people, you know, wanting to be in the news and giving a fuck you and saying, Hey, why not? We're going to, we're going to do it because we can. Yeah. I think a couple great points you just made there. And, and to the point, I mean, if, if this is really an intention to go and get into the discovery phase and, you know, have Hillary Clinton sit for deposition, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I was reading, I was really busy today. So let me say, first off, I have not read this thoroughly. It's 108 pages. So don't, don't be too hard on me, but from what I skimmed, it is a little bit better than I would have had initially thought. Um, there are some problems with it, which I don't like to see, especially as it is such a complex case and such a, a wide ranging case. You don't want anything that's going to be hold, holding it up to get to that discovery phase. And there are some points that can be challenged. Now, there's a few, there's a few things that stood out to me. And again, there's probably a few more if I actually digging into it but like one of them was that rodney joffe had hacked uh the trump tower and like this trump apartment and the white house now hacking is really not the correct term for what happened uh joffe had authorization to look at this data he just did it for an unauthorized purpose now is that a hack i i don't know if that's the correct uh, verbiage to, to really describe that. And as Leslie did a fantastic job pointing out a few weeks ago, um, you know, there are some nuances to that of whether that's actually criminal. Um, you know, if you have access and you abuse the access, that's not necessarily criminal. Now in some, uh, locations it is, and there's arguments to be made, but it's a highly technical argument from what I understand. And, and I'm complete layman in that. So maybe if she comes in, we can, we can ask her about that. Um, a couple other points, uh, that stood out to me was, uh, one point was that Ronnie Joffe, they, they said, and they, they alleged, uh, has an ownership interest in Zetalytics and Dissect Cyber. Now, I'm not saying that's not true. I, I don't know. For all I know, it, it is true, but there's nothing in the public domain on that. So if they have some information that I don't, they might be right about that. Uh, but what's in the public and what's searchable, I don't see anything that would say, yes, Rodney Joffe has an ownership interest in those two entities. Um, you know, his longtime business partner is Raymond Salino, who's associated with him in multiple entities. Uh, he is in the registration documents for Zetalytics. But that's really the extent. There's really nothing else that would tie anybody to Zetalytics or Dissect Cyber. So that point I thought was a little bit sloppy. I mean, even if it's true, I mean, they're going to have to prove out, like, how do you know that? Like, what are you basing that on? So 
Uh, there's just a couple points like that that I didn't like. But on the whole, I mean, just skimming through it, they did hit a lot of the major points. So I, I don't know. It's an incredibly complicated case. We'll, we'll see, you know, if it can move forward, if, you know, it gets dismissed against, you know, certain defendants or, or what the case may be. And again, I, you know, they have to do an amendment to kind of uh, include some of these predicate offenses. If, they, if this is the intention to actually get it to court or to get it to the discovery phase, it's not sufficient in its current state. Now they can amend it and hopefully get some of that in there, and then they might have a stronger case. But, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about the lawyer selection too. I, I want to get Willie in here. Um, Willie, go ahead. Still connecting. Hey, Willie, you there? Yeah, no, it just it, it just means I think before this lawsuit dropped, we were discussing somewhere else about like how bad Trump's lawyers were following the twenty twenty election, um, and. I've still, I, I, I just, I, I'm not quite there on this, this case. Uh, I'm hoping that he thinks that we can join it as amicus curiae or something and make it work. But I, uh, nah, it, at the moment I'm just skeptical. Really am. I, I can't, I can't see as it's going forward the. Yeah, yeah, it, it 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 ticks all the boxes, but you know we ticked all the boxes going from the election lawsuits, and and I'm just not there yet. Well, we'll see, right? And, and that's kind of the point I made off the off the bat. I don't think you were here. I mean, it it's really you know what's his intention? If it's just a shot across the bow to you know get this in the news, that's job well done. I mean that. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I mean, if he's just, you know, he wants it in the news so that when John Durham's indicting people here in a couple of weeks, you know, there is, you know, something to reference and something to talk to, uh, that's great. I mean, there, there is nothing wrong with that. You know, he certainly doesn't have to incur millions of dollars of legal fees and chase down all these people. Um, but if he does want to take this to at least the discovery phase and actually start getting evidence and, and um, you know, having people sit for depositions. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, one of the more common comments I heard today, you know, who are these lawyers? You know, I've never heard of these lawyers. And um, I would agree with that. Now, once I actually read the filing, it's not that bad. I mean, they hit some of the major points. There are some issues with it. Uh, there are some deficiencies with the predicate offenses not really being flushed out uh, to meet the statute of limitations. But, you know, with an amendment, you know, maybe they're okay. I, I don't know. I would have liked to have seen him hire like a big time law firm or uh, Alpha's lawyer. So I, I put that out earlier. I mean, the Alpha uh, bank attorneys, their U.S. law firm, they did a fantastic job. And, and my point is, why reinvent the wheel? Like if you're trying to search for a, a good lawyer, you know, you just watch. Hopefully they were watching this Alpha case unfold. And they did a fine job. I mean, these lawyers are good. And, and obviously, with a lot, them being involved in the last few years, they're already up to speed. They know exactly what's going on. 
they might have to expand it a little bit to get into the Clinton and the FBI side of it. But they're, you know, light years ahead of where this new law firm is really going to be. So I would have liked to have seen uh, President Trump go go that route. But we'll and, see. I mean, I leave it open. I, I don't I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what the, and, the game plan is. So and, and, and that is the thing I was thinking today, like, you know, we've lost the alpha lawyers. They just they can't be paid by free sanctions. And like Freeman is in like three thousand dollars a week or something or month. Uh, <clears throat> it's probably going to be in a council house or whatever it is in in London. It it, it yeah, all that information of the Alpha Bank lawyers. It was all sat there. It's all waiting, um, and and by sanctions, that's just been put on hold. Well, it's not been put on hold. It's been put on hold with prejudice because he's had to withdraw because he's Russian or something. Um, so maybe maybe this Trump lawsuit is going to take up the slack of what the Alpha Bank uh, lawsuit originally was because we learned a lot by that. Not no, it, it, It's not like completely public filings, but we learned a lot. They learned a lot. I, I think Durham learned a lot. And... And... This new Trump lawsuit, the first thing I, I thought about was, well, how do we insert ourselves as a, um amicus curiae, like friend of a court? Because a lot of the stuff, that, it's a civil lawsuit, and a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is involved. So where is our representation? Yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. I was just going to say, agree with with you guys that uh, the alpha lawyers would have been, I mean, that's a great idea or bringing in somebody like Hans from this corner that is just versed on this stuff. And so you don't make mistakes because it's, everybody knows how this works. Everybody knows how the game's played. You make one mistake out of, you know, you get 99 things right out of a hundred. It's that hundredth that the media is going to grab and they're going to go up, oh, see fact checkers do this. This whole thing is, you know, this whole thing is BS. It's wrong because this little detail is wrong. So you have to have everything right, you know, get, get all your ducks in a row. And, and of course, of course you should always do that. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit disheartening to see that there are already a few potential mistakes in there that could have been sussed out and, you know, without too much trouble, you could have some people fact checking for you and just going, no, 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 that's not exactly right. This is the way to phrase that. And hopefully, you know, if the case moves forward, that they they avail themselves of of some people that really have these facts at their fingertips. Yeah, I'm not so sure they're going to be able to bring us in. Um, I mean, I would love to see them, you know, reach out to Techno or Hans and bring them in, and and that would be a great idea. But um, you know. Getting more of us in there, I, I think that's pretty unlikely. I think the the best thing that we can do is to continue in analyzing documents and and fighting for FOIA's. So, FOIA fan is just fantastic, and he's been fighting so hard for the last few years. And it, it sounds like if things go according to plan, he's going to get some really important State Department documents 
probably next week or the week after. So that's going to be amazing to see. Um, I know he's working on some other stuff as well. I've got some, some FOIAs out there. Um, I know Techno does a lot of FOIAs and, and others as well. So I think that's the best thing that we can do. And, you know, if we can get more stuff into the public domain and then they can use that in their litigation and, and uh, you know, work off of some of those public documents and we can draw a little bit more information if they can get to discovery and then we can submit FOIAs off of that, right? I mean, that was a real value for me and the Alpha case it was incredibly educational. I mean, we learned so much from that, that civil case. And then we took that and we were able to go out and, and hunt for FOIAs and have a starting point for a lot of different pieces. And now, I mean, I have dozens of FOIAs out there. I, I don't know how many others, others have, but you know, I, I certainly have dozens out there. And if I, I've, if I just get 10% of them, I mean, we're going to be doing pretty well, I think. So um, Mitt, I'm going to go ahead and add you a speaker. If you have a question or comment, go ahead. Uh, Mitt, go ahead. Hey, yeah. You know, whether formally or informally, I think the ideas of um, Technofog and Hans and all that, those are, you know, absolutely fantastic. I've gone in uh, to district attorney's offices and, been an expert uh, witness and then also an expert information provider in those situations. And they need it. They, they absolutely have to have it. Lawyers are spinning their wheels for hours and hours and hours to try to catch up, to get to a spot to where they're only a quarter of halfway where you're already at. You know what I mean? So, um, but to go in formally and be part of it, of course, you'd have to be vetted. Whoever ends up doing that, be vetted. I'm sure Techno and Hans have no problem uh, with that. Um, but getting in front of them and supplying the information, I, I'm never, it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, everyone that, you know, that you hear from when they comment on this story, at, you know, not in this corner, but I'm talking about in the public, someone that's got some notoriety and some public chops and congressmen, senators, people within Trump circle. And I'm, I'm always flabbergasted with the, uh, either the lack of information that they have or the complete um, ability to be unaware of what they're talking about as, as far as this Russiagate event uh, takes place. And for you to be able to sit down in front of those guys and say, hey, look, this is what we've done. And you may be able to do a little legwork ahead of time by going through the filing, picking out the areas where you think you have the most information and the best information and collating those two things together. And, you know, if I was serious about it, I would spend the 700 bucks for an hour of time with that particular attorney firm and just go in for a consultation, you paying them and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is my curriculum vitae. This is your filing. I've highlighted, notated everything that I think is important as far as I'm concerned. And here's the research that I've done on that. And it's got 500 hours of research put into it that's dialed in and ready to go. You know, and you can decide to use it. You can talk to him about it. You can bring me back. I'll work, you know, pro, pro bono or, you know, I'll charge a fee, whatever, whatever it is. But there is value to it. There's a lot of different hoops to jump through. Uh, attorney firms do it all the time. And I run to Willie in another spot all the time. And I just spoke to him earlier about 
the problem, you don't see any large, the big name firms with the big name attorneys and partners and reps. You know, they're representing Colgate. They're representing uh, Daimler-Benz. They're representing the, the most woke corporations in the world. And they're not going to take on MAGA as a client. It's bad business for them, right? So you're going to have to settle for a middling firm. And you're going to go up, they're going to be going up against the big firms. And that's probably just the way it's going to end up. Um, so yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, I, I think you had a, a lot of great points there. And, and I think that was kind of the, the feeling that I had about the, the guys that rep, representing Alpha Bank, right? Because they can handle the heat. They just represented some Russian oligarchs in the midst of everything that's going on. I mean, that, that takes some backbone to do that. So I figured, you know, somebody like that, um, they can handle the pressure. And that would have been a great resource for, for President Trump. So that's another reason that I was kind of thinking of them. And I mean, to your, to your point, you kind of alluded to it. I mean, it, if somebody was starting from point zero, and a lot of people in the media are on the story. I mean, they, they've reported on it, but they, they literally have no idea what's going on. They haven't spent 20 minutes looking at all the documents that we have available now. And, you know, one of the real challenges that I see coming down the road, um, especially when the indictments get to the point where you can't ignore it anymore, is the media is not going to have a starting point. I mean, there's no experts for them to bring on. They don't have any in-house information on this. And you can't learn everything you need to learn to report on this accurately. Like you, you couldn't start now and be ready by the end of the year. There's just not enough time. I mean, you, it takes a couple years of digging through these, these documents, you know, bouncing it back and forth off of sounding boards and, and people that actually know what's going on as well. And, you know, handing it back and forth before you really understand what's really happening. So, you know, to have that level of knowledge is just not something that anybody in the media is going to have when we really need them to have that. So I'm really concerned about what that's going to spell out for us because, you know, it's one thing for, for John Durham to bring the indictments, but if there's not anybody that's going to be able to translate that for the American public, I mean, is the ball really going to get moved forward? I mean, it's Hillary Clinton pretty much have to be prosecuted for everybody to, to know that there's, you know, something there. I mean, is that what it's going to take or, you know, can they bring on the slews? I mean, there's nothing wrong with them reaching out to Fool Nelson or Hans or Techno and hiring them. Like, bring them on. Re- you know, you're, you're the, the consultant. You're going to be on air. You're going to report on this. And we're just going to trust you with it. And I think that's what I would hope and like to see. But I, I just don't see that happening. So started to ramble there. Uh, I'm going to add somebody else that's requesting to speak here. That one guy. That one guy, go ahead. Are you Hey, guys. Uh, just a couple quick points. Um, I, I am a practicing attorney, uh, and I just wanted to address first, you know, the idea. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'd love if Trump could get a big law firm involved in this. Um, but a big consideration before you take on a client is going to be conflicts of interest. I mean, if you look at who represented Alpha Bank, that would be Skaden. Skaden, you know, had to pay out a settlement relating to the Manafort indictment. Um, I'm sure they've been involved in other cases. So 
it's not just this matter. It's a, a law firm's going to have to look through their through their records and see if they've ever represented a client adverse to Trump. And as you can imagine, most of these bigger law firms are run by left leaning attorneys, and they are more than willing to sue Trump. So that's one consideration. Uh, and then in terms of you know using some of these sleuths as experts. You know, I, I really just struggle with how that's going to work, at least in court. You know, you're going to be subject to a Daubert uh, motion to exclude and good luck showing, you know, peer reviewed methodology to back up their opinions. Um, I guess you could say, you know, relying on experience by itself. But I really think the way to go is just to uh, to try to rely on them as uh, consultants. But, yeah, just my two cents. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that, that I, I think as researchers, if nothing else, that are, you know, just someone that can that can say, look, you can't say that we haven't proven that, uh, say this instead. So it doesn't work its way into filings. And if you're doing, you know, media, it doesn't end up on television because that's the stuff that really kills us is people get out over their skis and then it gets run with. And all of a sudden Fox News is saying something that's just not supportable and it just starts to look like a big conspiracy theory. And that's something we're going to have to battle against all the way through. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and open this up for questions or comments. So if anybody has anything, go ahead and request to speak. But I think to that point, I mean, <laughs> Fox news is a great example, right? I mean, they're, they're like the one major mega outlet for conservatives and, you know, they get out, too far over their skis and then you know they kind of get in trouble and then they don't cover the next thing so to your point i mean that's that's so important to point out because you know they got out over their skis and they said you know clinton was paying joffy and joffy hacked these servers and stuff stuff that's not right stuff that's not in the documents and then people went and fact checked that and i got a fact check on facebook and the fact check said, like, completely wrong information. Like, the fact check was wrong. The fact check said, you know, Fox News is not correct on this. But it went, like, two steps further than that. And it said, you know, there's no evidence that they were spying on, you know, the president or, or whatever. And I was like, wait a minute. That's, like, right in the indictment. It says that Joffe abused his access to look for derogatory information on President Trump. Now, whether he's president at that point or the incoming president spying is confirmed like there's no question that there was spying there uh there's unauthorized access and looking for derogatory information that's spying and the fact checks went way over that line and that's what everybody reports now and that's what everybody in, in the country thinks about what is going on and it it just undermines everything that's happened and and i I mean, I just wish they would just read it really closely, you know, bring in some of the sleuths as consultants to like be editors and fact check this and just report it because the, re this, the truth is bad enough. Like the truth is a monster of a story. You don't have to go anywhere else. Like you don't have to be, you know, anticipate anything that's coming. Just report exactly what's in the, the indictment. So that's my two cents. Got on my soapbox there. Will, you got anything else? Otherwise, I mean, I'll, I'll open it up. I don't see anybody else that's in the queue for questions or comments here, but uh, I'll keep it open if anybody has anything. 
let me check my DMs here. I guess I have a, a few other people that have asked me some questions that are unrelated to this filing. So um, I'm still pursuing some FOIAs. Uh, I can't really preview stuff that's coming, but um, there will be stuff coming. <laughs> Sorry, I have to tease you guys. I mean, it. You know, I'd like to just say, yeah, I can just push out whatever I want to push out, but I'm trying to, you know, kind of be engaged with like a larger reach, right? So instead of just sharing stuff out with my, you know, few thousand followers and then, you know, it not reaching out much more than that, I'm trying to give it to the right people. Uh, so it's in national reporting and everybody can access it. So, you know, I'm trying to hold on to scoops and feed them and layer them correctly. And when I can't do that, I'm going to push it out. You know, I'm not withholding anything for like a, a, any other purpose than to like the maximize the reach. That's the only reason I would do it. So uh, I have a lot of FOIs out there and I've got good news on a few of them as far as processing uh, good news on identifying records. And so I, I'm in a good position to fight for stuff that I'm, I'm looking at and should be interesting. I mean, I'm just pursuing a lot of stuff. So, Keeping it open, guys. Uh, if you guys got questions or comments, go ahead. Otherwise, I'm going to end this one. Well, Another five, ten minutes here. I'm just going to say right now that I, I, I don't know. It's like I can't remember when you started playing uh, uh, Georgia Tech, but um, it, it was a, a whisper of a dream. Back like five <laughs> or six months ago, I said, "Oh, could we FOIA Georgia Tech as a throwaway comment?" And and like now you have this like amazing amount of uh, research and, and FOIA documents which are just there. And 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 you know, six months ago we didn't know that we could FOIA Georgia Tech. We, we yeah, know. I mean, I. I give a lot of credit to Margot Cleveland because she was the first one to do it. And she came back with a number of files uh, specific to Monos, I believe. Exactly. And, yeah. and then I, I just had this curiosity. I was like, well, you know, are there more FOIAs? And I was like, you know, you don't want to ask people to, to put in FOIAs or whatever. If it's like, you know, you don't know, you don't know what's going on or whatever. Like I was nervous to ask her. So I was just like, you know what? I'll start putting in FOIAs. <laughs> and so I got COVID around Christmas and like couldn't go to any family events. And I just had like a full week where I was just sitting around doing nothing. So I just started putting in FOIAs and I, I must've put in like probably 70 FOIAs and I put in a few to Georgia tech and I was like, you know, I put in 70 FOIAs and I was like, if I just get one process, I'll be so happy. And then a few weeks later, I got my first FOIA process, and it was like from the state of Illinois. I was looking for stuff for GRU related to something Mueller was doing. And it came back, and it was just news articles. And I was like, oh, that sucks. There's nothing. And then like the next day, I started getting stuff from Georgia Tech. And man, I, I'm happy to, to see them process stuff under FOIA. I'm, I mean, Georgia is like the the model for the country. I mean, they, they do FOIA the right way. And I'm happy Georgia Tech kind of follows the law to the letter of the law and the intent of the law. And they just push out documents. I mean, you FOIA something and it's in accordance with the law, they're going to give it to you. And 
yeah, now I've got like a, over a thousand pages of, of documents from Georgia Tech. I've got more stuff in the works. And yeah, I mean, I, I had a quick talk of, a few days ago. And Daniel, I don't know if you're here or not. Daniel stepped to the plate. I know he put in a couple of FOIAs, but uh, FOIA fan and I just had like a quick 10 minute talk one day about putting in FOIAs. And if anybody's interested, like if, you, if you've ever had a curiosity about what the government has on a, a certain topic, Russiagate or not, don't be afraid to put in FOIAs. It's really a simple process. Uh, there's plenty of examples of FOIAs on, online, or you can reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you. The fees are usually pretty low. If you're looking at like high fees, you'd probably want to modify your request. They're, n- they're usually not that bad. So, yeah, don't be afraid to put in FOIAs if anybody's out there. Yeah, I, I think the, the whole Georgia thing, we got put off with the whole election thing. Uh, I'm not sure he's on here now, Anders Paul. Um, uh, Sharon Miller's, whatever his, I forget his handle, but um, this was like back in the elections and oh my god, we he, he, he put in a, uh, it's open records not for you in Georgia. And he put that in for the uh, the video of all the drop boxes, and they, they came back with this. It, it was like thirty, forty thousand dollars just to just to store the election drop boxes, and and he he was willing to pay it, but um, anyway, somebody else had done it. Uh, the Trevor Bates or somebody in Georgia, um, and, and, and that's not happening. But with people putting in FOIA or or open records uh, requests is 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 a great way to like hold your hold everything to account, basically. And and I didn't know like six months ago that you could FOIA. Uh, Georgia Tech, but apparently can, and it's lovely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it's it's a nice thing, right? I mean, if they get money from the federal government or the state government, generally speaking, you can probably FOIA them. There are plenty of private universities, unfortunately, that I'd like to FOIA uh, that I can't. So, yeah kind of lucked out on that one i'm i'm really happy they did all this stuff in georgia and i'm happy they did it at georgia tech so that we could have access to it and i see we have daniel here daniel congrats man i saw it put in the foyers a couple days ago that's awesome dude my first foyer i was so happy <laughs> i actually had to do three because it had to do to each different uh dhs entity that uh foyer fan uh, recommended um how long? How long do I gotta wait for a response to that? Oh, dude, you're never gonna get those. <laughs> but it's awesome that you did it. <laughs> Damn, maybe I'll have to. Uh, maybe I'll have to take DHS to court then. <laughs> no, I. I mean, it's it's really awesome that you did that and you stepped up and, and put them in. And that's it was I mean, really easy. Everyone should do it. Everybody should do it. But um, yeah, I, I haven't actually gotten anything back from DHS yet. Um, Interesting. I know. 
it does update once it's assigned for processing and it'll give you a timeline. So I think my first one, I want to say it's scheduled to be processed in June. Um, but they are a little bit more clunky. Everybody with the federal government, all the agencies are, are pretty clunky and slow to respond. And they push back really hard on stuff. So um, hopefully you'll probably get an email here in a couple of weeks and they'll give you like a, a status update, like a confirmation <laughs> that it's been like assigned for processing. So It'll be, it'll be a while, but it will get processed. It'll probably be processed within a year. So that's, that's awesome. Hey, I just can't wait. Um, I did have another question though. I was just, uh, I was thinking about Chris Steele and, uh, I remember Durham and the court in the UK, right? And I don't remember, I don't remember whatever happened with that. I just didn't know if you, uh, you remembered what, what happened with all, all that stuff. If he actually ever got documents or a deposition. Yeah. So doing this one from memory so don't hold me to anything but i want to say it was december 2020 or december 2019 it was one of those years and german listed the help of like a law firm in britain to kind of force steel to to do something and um they basically weren't going to do that but what came of that was steel handed over agreed to hand over his notes related to Alpha Bank stuff. And the Alpha Bank notes uh, did come to Durham, and I don't know what was in them that hasn't been released or anything, um, but that was used as part of Durham's investigation, I'm sure. Um, but beyond that, I don't know that Durham's gotten anything. I don't know if those efforts continued to uh, force him to – you know, sit for deposition or, or cooperate. Um, but yeah, Durham did get a little bit, but other than that, I, I didn't think it sounded too pro- promising. So do you think if, uh, if, if he's not going to get indicted, do you think he'll try to get him to testify? Uh, I, I think Steele's going to get indicted. You think so? Why was boy fan said he didn't think, uh, still be indicted, but, uh, Simpson probably. I, th- I think Simpson and Steele will probably be indicted. Um, I don't know that they'll get Steele extradited. Um, oh, yeah, 101 charge, 1001. Yeah, I want to say. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's hard to predict. I, I try to stay away from doing predictions. I I could see other charges, but um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say, right? I mean, when you actually look through Steele and like his Alpha Bank deposition is out there, I have it in my link tree. And it's kind of weird because he he's actually pretty honest when he's under oath. Like, he doesn't hold a whole lot back. And it's really unfortunate. The Alpha, in the Alpha Bank case, when he was deposed, the investigators didn't know as much as we know now. They didn't know any, anywhere close. And you actually have Steele telling the truth, and then these British investigators are kind of hammering on stuff and it's like no he's actually telling the truth so that sucks yeah it's kind of weird and there are some good points out of that deposition but you know unfortunately i mean if the investigators knew what we know now it would be a a really interesting thing to see if only (laughs) yeah so so two things i think is going to happen well one thing like steel might get like um uh, indicted, but like the the same judges, uh, it's Amy Barrettsay or whatever who does the Julian Assange uh, extradition. 
she is not going to be falling. Oh no, no, she she actually said she was good on the sound, like keeping her him back. Um, but it, he has been around too many uh, London social clubs. No way, but he's getting it like extradited to the United States, even if he gets uh, like uh, charges. Uh, pressed in EVDA or whatever. Um, that's just not happening. I, 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 it, and if you're a prosecutor like Durham, you're like, mm, no. It, 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 the, the political ramifications of trying to extradite an ex-MI6 head of Russian station, Moscow station, to the UK, I, it, you, you're going to have to like Give up the, the the lady you ran over that person out in Norfolk or whatever. I just don't see that happening. That didn't stop uh, Mueller from uh, indicting all those Russians and the uh, Russian companies for basically political show. Yeah, but 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 we all know that you can't like extradite people from Russia. Yeah, obviously. But the UK, apparently you can, but it has to go through some judicial process. Oh, so Um, if he's, like, indicted, it would automatically start that? Well, no, you can indict the GRU. So apparently the uh, advanced APT people, so uh, advanced... uh, Persistent threat people twenty eight, twenty nine, and 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 like I'm sorry if I'm wrong on this, but uh, apparently the APT and this all goes back to Rodney Joff, CrowdStrike, it's not the it's like the APT. Um, I think according to Walker Fire, is this a, a advanced persistent threat whereby you're not just um, within the internet uh, ascribing a random like oh it might be Russian they're actually taking it down to a person at an IP address which they've somehow got around the VPN and it is a an an actual person, so I say, and, and this is something I I'd always like. I always thought like APT twenty eight and twenty nine, fancy and cozy bear. I just thought, oh well, they they attributed them to uh, the Ukrainians or the Russians or whatever. I I, I don't know it, 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 the people who did the DNC hack. Um, they were somehow attributed to Russian people, but Walker Fire, I think, in a tweet a while back, he said that no, this APT is actually attributing them to an individual, um, a like four hundred pound hacker behind a computer. At you no, know, you know, behind a VPN, wherever, but 
they could attribute it to um, somebody who was there and doing it rather than, oh yeah, it's just for Russians. And so that, that APT, that um, the APT that, that Joppe uh, and all that lot were doing, the, 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 the Greek guys at Georgia Tech. Well, this, this was trying to like pin it to a person in a place. Now, and I and and I was I was thinking about this. Uh, like, how do you pin that to a person? And then I I, I was listening to Rekieta Law last night and how they pinned the the, the the kid who got three months jail rather than like 10 years or something but how the FBI guys pinned his like sharing of like paedophile pornography but the way they did it they 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 didn't quite send them something because it, it didn't, the file size didn't work or something. They needed another address. So they, they begin to like, take these little bits of information and they build them up into this, what is apparently an APT. So by, uh, and the, the cyber defences in the US, they're, they're basically, okay, so we see this action, can we link it to another? Can we can we extract something, make them do something that will like definitely identify them as this um, APT, like this? Uh, Willie, do you mind if I jump in with a yeah, couple points? Go. Yeah, so there, there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on there, right? So um, attribution is kind of like a blanket term that everybody's kind of throwing around. So it can mean different things based on who you're talking to and what, what's involved in that conversation. So um, there's a GRU attribution where, um, you know, you can say it, you think it's the Russians and APT28 you believe is fancy bear, which interchangeable terms. You think that's a military branch called the GRU. It's part of the Russian military. And there's, there's a lot of elements to this, and I, I'll probably miss a few. But um, you have CrowdStrike and the FBI going in, and they're analyzing the hack. And their sensors are immediately saying, allegedly, that the Russians are involved with this hack. So you have some indications there. We don't know what's in the CrowdStrike reports, but at some point, they conclude that it was the Russians that hacked the DNC. And they put that out on June 14th, 2016. Now, right around that same time, when they were going public saying it was the Russians, they were actually just giving the files to the FBI. So the FBI hadn't done any analysis yet. And if you actually look at those June 14th stories really closely, you'll see like the government is not really on board with this. So the government's attribution to Russia 
came in October 2016. And there are some reports from DNI out there that attribute it to Russia. And then there's another attribution, and this is kind of the point that I think you're making. How do you go from saying, well, it's the GRU to saying, okay, it's these 12 individuals. And that's a point that we still have to flush out a little bit. And I think it's really interesting and important to keep in mind that, you know, a few months ago, we got a Bloomberg article, and this was December 2021, just a few months ago, that indicated that Ilya Sachkov and Sergei Mikhailov had some role in, um, in helping the U.S. government basically attribute these attacks. And I, I found that really interesting because, um, you know, these are people that are, are helping attribute it to the GRU, and there's a lot of animosity between the FSB and the GRU. They're competitive, uh, the competing agencies over in Russia. So they don't get along, and they do have a long history of setting each other up. And the question that I had when I read those stories was, well, you know, the technical data must not have been that strong, right? If you need human reporting to tell you who was involved with this hack, then the technical analysis must not have been that strong. It must not have been that conclusive. And uh, one other point that you, you just alluded to as well was Rodney Joffe. And we've gotten indications about Rodney Joffe or uh, Manos and this group from Georgia Tech being involved with some degree of analysis with the DNC hack. And um, not going to get too far ahead of a few things that are coming, but there are some indications and there's a big, big discrepancy right now where we have uh, communications from Manos uh, as part of these email chains and FOIA where Manos is saying, yeah, you know, I was tasked to look at Guccifer, who was, of course, the, like the front that was releasing these documents hacked from DNC. And DARPA is saying, no, we didn't task Manos. And that becomes really important because, you know, <laughs> That's like a strong indication that there's like a deeper layer here. If Manos thinks he was tasked by DARPA and DARPA saying, no, we didn't task him, then what happened to the data and the analysis from Manos? You know, where did that go? You know, what did those people do with it? And um, we're going to find out a little bit more. And there'll be a story coming in a few days that helps clean that up a little bit. Um, but there is a major story there, and there's a major investigation that's needed to get to the bottom of that. And I see we have Walkafire in here. So, Walkafire, if you want to speak, man, we'd love to hear your thoughts either on um, DNC attribution stuff or we were talking about the Trump lawsuit today. And if you want to jump in on either topic, I mean, you can, you can talk about anything, Walkafire. You can do literally anything. We can talk about rainbows if you want. Oh. Yeah, there we go. What's going on, Walker Fire? I make it mandatory for Walker Fire to speak when he comes in. <laughs> well, hey, uh, good. <laughs> I was just uh, planning to talk about rainbows today. Um, no, I appreciate, fantastic. Uh, appreciate uh, being asked to speak. Um, I don't want to inter inter. Uh, interfere with the train of thought that everyone's um, already on. I just popped in maybe one or two minutes ago. Um, but I will, I'll sit here and if I've got something to, to contribute, I will certainly do so. 
there you go, folks. I mean, now is your chance. If you have any questions or comments, um, if there's anything you ever wanted to know about Russiagate, you have somebody here that can provide you an answer. So don't be bashful. Go ahead and, and ask anything you want. Yeah, I had a quick question just on the timeline for the DNC hack. Um, what weight do, do you or anyone on the call give to uh, the FBI reaching out to the DNC in November 2015, uh, suggesting that Russians are on the DNC systems and servers? Um, I know it was brought up by the DNC uh, IT contractor in uh, the, what is it, Yurid? Wold Johannes testified before Congress saying that the FBI was first contacting the DC, the DNC back in November 2015, sort of raising the flag that Russians are on their system. Um, whether or not that's Russian, I mean, again, attack or attribution strategy uh, is a bit difficult to pin down. But just just if, if that's been explored in any more detail by you guys, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and unfortunately, it's really not one that we have a whole lot more information on. Um, I mean, there's one question that we were kind of posing a few weeks ago. I mean, you had public reporting indicates that both Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear were involved with hacks, and Cozy Bear is the one that you're referencing that was involved back to 2015, and they were there, and, and as far as has been reported, we don't know of any information that was exfiltrated or disseminated by Cozy Bear. Fancy Bear is the one that is popularly known, and that happened in April, and they got in the system and they exfiltrated a bunch of documents from the DNC. Now, a question that I had a few weeks ago was, you know, how can you tell us that it was Fancy Bear and not Cozy Bear, right? I mean, what level of analysis or detail is there that you can attribute it to one and not the other? But um, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's a little bit, I went a little bit off topic there with that one. And, and Walk of Fire, if you have anything, ha happy to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, I, I don't know, you know what Baronet really has. I know at some point it, it prompted the DNC to upgrade their firewall um, because they were, they were concerned enough about it. But, um, you know, they never really found anything. And then all of a sudden in April, it, it blew up into a big thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have read, you know, uh, Yared or Yared, however you say his name. I've read his uh, transcript several times because I find the the whole lead up to, I guess, about March 2016, where where the official, you know, Fancy Bear starting to fish Podesta and everything. But I, I find everything before that fascinating. Um, you know, I I can think of uh, lots of interesting conspiratorial. Uh, theories about what was going on um, but of course there's there's just so little evidence and proof and, and primary source documents out there to really know what's going on other than a few news stories and some of those transcripts um, and you know the FBI is doing everything they can to keep everything as locked down as they can I just saw it was I think today maybe yesterday um something about, you know, someone's got a FOIA request out there for um, FBI files related to the DNC hack. And it looks like they reviewed 500 pages and withheld all 500 pages in full um, for this month's release. So, you know, they're just, they're, they're finding anything they can to keep it as locked down as possible. Um, so whether that means that 
there's something bigger, there's something that ties it all together with a bow, or you know, you, we as much as we want to jump on everyone's a horrible person, you know, maybe there wasn't anything there, and so the FBI is withholding all this stuff because it's all technically private. You know, they there can be bias, there can be all sorts of reasons, but what makes it tough is that we don't know anything because they're withholding any sort of indication saying here's why this could have been related or innocent or here's why this is a, a major scandal. Well, it's also particularly interesting to me, the fact that you testified that they were unable to, to find any evidence of Russians on their systems from November until April. And then suddenly in April it pops up and, oh, now they are able to identify Russians. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. It's 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 weird, even their innocent story. If they, we can't find anything and FBI comes back to them several times. I think the first visit or phone call was back in August or September and of 2015. And they keep saying, no, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. But then the FBI comes back and says, no, yes, here's more indications. Here's something's happening. You know, it's not clear on whether uh, Yarid was uh, getting that information up to the top. Some stories say, no, no one was told. And then other stories will say, yeah, he, you know, they went straight to the top and everyone was talking about it and they couldn't find anything. It's, it's very, very weird. Um, you know, one thing that I've, found is very interesting to look at is um, the FBI, FBI, according to Yeri's transcript, got real involved about mid-April, and they were having to stage and transmit some log files and everything to the FBI somehow securely. And if you look at that and, and cross-reference it with the Mueller report about the dates and when the GRU was supposedly stealing files from the DNC. It's very, very interesting to see how um, these two things, or were they two things, all happening at the same time. Hey, Walk, um, what's the earliest attributed date when Hillary and, and the Hillary campaign uh, started concocting their scheme to, hey, let's tag Donald Trump as a Russian agent. I know it was, I think it was during the mid-year review, you know, try to get back at Trump, but it sure seems like it's around that mid-spring of, of 16, uh, about the same time that everybody's wondering, wow, why did they start this? Uh, they didn't see the Russians in the system. No, all of a sudden in April, they do see the Russians in the system. Yeah, I'm just wondering what the closeness of the dates are for when Hillary started putting together her scheme that John Brennan talked about to tag uh, Trump as a Russian agent? Well, you know, you, you, that, that report that John Brennan talks about at the end of July of 2016 is technically, you know, the, the first confirmed time that we've, we hear that, we know that. Um, I would say probably you can look at the, I think it's February 19th or something email um, talking about the Trump Swift boat project, and we need to be ready to move on that. Um, that could mean something else, but it very 
you know, it, it certainly seems like it is talking about tagging him with with Russia. Um, the other thing I'll say is, you know, you you can find lots of dates that seem to to line up together. You know, there's only certain a certain amount of days in a year, um, and you can you can say, well, this happened the same day as this, and this happened the same day as that, so they must be related. And lots of times they are, but lots of times they're not. Um, but that that's why we need Durham to keep you know indicting or at least filing some more stuff so that we can finally start checking some of these things off our list. Yes, that's what they were talking about. No, they were talking about something else. Okay. And so we can really start honing in on what exactly did happen. Can, can I just interrupt? <clears throat> Sorry for the frog in my throat, but the, the ATP 28 and 29 were first uh, identified in the Ukrainian battlefield originally, and then they got sort of repurposed uh, because it was GRU and whatever. They, they got repurposed via Dmitry Alp. Uh, I, I can never pronounce his surname. Alperovich or whatever. Um, so these were these APTs are, are things which uh, like the well it's not Q-tip it, it, it's something uh, like oh god almighty the, the there's a load of like internet companies which share these hacking like vulnerabilities, and they share them around. This is what part of Joffy was ab about. Is part of what uh, the Greeks in Georgia Tech or DARPA or um, Microsoft or whatever. That there is a, a distinct group of people who work out whether their systems, whether the internet as a whole is is being attacked. And but we're talking about APT twenty eight and twenty-nine. So if you chunk back from there, there has to be an APT one. Uh, I'm presuming they don't use zero. But APT one was a Chinese uh attributed persistent threat or advanced persistent threat that they identified. So if you if you take from when they 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 identified ATP twenty eight and twenty nine, which I think was in uh, originally in the Donbass, uh, the the Ukrainian theater of war probably in 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 2016 or or 20 I, I don't know between 2014 and 2016 and they they've taken the the style of hacking or 
or whatever. And they said, yeah, that's definitely them. But previous to that, there was another, no, 25 APTs. And this is coming from the same attribution group that Joff is part of, but uh, the Greeks in Georgia Tech are part of. And it's going back to APT1 or whatever in China. So this APT, this attribution, which is a bit sketchy, to be quite honest, but you say, well, they use these certain types of, hack, uh, types of hacking tools, therefore they must be this, or they must come from that VPN. Um, um, this advanced attribution, like to say that those hackers on the World Wide Web, or, sorry, Internet, um, to pin it down to them people, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, and I think that's what the Greeks at Georgia Tech were trying to do, Joffrey was trying to do. <clears throat> um, and then I think they went astray. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot going on there, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, to your point, um, you know, FireEye, I think, was the first to identify Fancy Bear, and that was in 2014. Um, and there is a little bit of dispute out there. I, I don't think there's too much to it where um, there's a little bit of dispute about whether it's actually a Russian group. I mean, there's no real confirmation other than, you know, the company seems to operate during uh, time zones in Russia uh, and they seem to carry out missions that are uh, against Russian enemies more or less. And I mean, to your point, um, which I think is a good one, I mean, a lot of the attribution analysis that gets done is sources and methods. So if you're an analyst, a computer a cybersecurity analyst, and you say, well, this group does these techniques and it's pretty common to them, you know, every group's going to have their signature. I mean, technically, you could just replicate that, right? I mean, if you're really good at, at what you're doing, you would just replicate it and then all of a sudden you're fancy bear, right? So um, that the attribution analysis without technical backing is, is seems to be pretty limited and it's hard to draw too many conclusions about a group, let alone, uh, I imagine trace it to, to specific individuals. So, um, I think that's a, a good point. Draft guru. I'm going to add you as speaker, Mario, if you're still here, I was going to add you, but it looks like you're gone. So draft guru, how's it going? Draft Guru, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How's it going? Yeah, I just want to know, uh, can he get the Alpha Bank lawyers? Can I get them? Like on the chat? No, no, no. no. Um, the lawsuit. Um, like the, the depositions and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's a curiosity that we have. But yeah, uh, technically my understanding is they could just release those documents. So anything that's not in the public domain right now, they could uh, theoretically just dump out there. So 
Um, you know, I don't have any connections to, with them to, to ask for them, but um, we'd certainly welcome those if they wanted to dump them out there. All righty. Anybody got anything else? Uh, I got a question for Walkify. Um, yeah, there you go. What do you think the next uh, step in, public step in Germans' investigation is going to be? We've seen him start to dismantle Steel Source Network and him go after the Alpha Bank stuff. Uh, what do you think is going to come next? And do you think there's going to be anything surprising like that we didn't, weren't expecting? Or what do you think? Um, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, the, the, I guess we've seen what three indictments total, um, Kevin Kleinsmith and then, um, Sussman and Danchenko. And they all seem to be, uh, you know, completely unrelated. You know, how many different strings of investigation does Durham have, um, so yeah. who who knows? It could be something against um, someone in the intelligence community about the, the hacking and everything. It could be uh, someone in in Hillary's campaign. It could be um, it could be just that we get more in the Hillary and and or in the uh, Danchenko and and Sussman indictments. You know he he's been doing a good job with his filings and giving us some information there. And, you know, the things that we've learned from both of those indictments are just, they're huge. They're, they're huge chunks of the story that we had no clue even happened. Um, All sorts of new characters being introduced um, to the saga. Um, So who knows? Um, It'd be, it'd be nice to, get something that, that wraps up some stuff um, that we've all had questions on for a while. Um, but at the same time, he could just blow all of our minds with some crazy other aspect that was going on that we had no idea about. Um, you know, and to be really fun if, if, you know, some of the theories that, that lots of us that, you know, throw out on, on Twitter every day um, that, that seem unconnected to reality would be confirmed. I mean, that would be, fun i guess is not quite the right word um but but who knows i mean i'm anxious to see what he has i'm i'm apprehensive that um you know he's going up against quite the machine there in in washington especially with all this ukraine stuff going on i mean ukraine you know in my opinion is a huge part of all of this and you know oh sorry you were going to indict someone or, or file something talking about how Ukraine was involved. Well, we can't do that right now because we all have to stand behind Ukraine. So you got to hold off on that for a while. I mean, that's, that's a big, uh, big, big hurdle for him to overcome. Not because it takes it from the political spectrum to the actual national security spectrum, kind of almost with some of this stuff with Joffe, you know, Joffe's got his little side thing, um, going that's all sealed where he's trying to get all the references to him stricken from Sussman's um, from all the pleadings in Sussman's case. Um, Probably he's just trying to weasel out of it, but it's all sealed. We don't know. I mean, this could implicate all sorts of things. 
So he's got a very uh, tight line that he's got to walk. And um, hopefully we get a lot of good answers and, and just how he chooses to uh, give those to us will be quite interesting. Thank you. And do you think he's restricted by uh, the size of his team? He may might be not be able to handle like as many like cases at, at once. So keep taking it piece by piece, or do you think the size of his team can impact that the speed? Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, you know, you get something too big, and and you've got a lot more potential for leaks. You've got a lot more potential for um, from interference internally with the team um you know you get it too small and yeah you've got um you've got some issues analyzing and getting through all the facts that you're looking at um i was just able earlier today to listen to um lee smith's first episode on Colin, and he had devin nunez on and i think they recorded that a few days ago I encourage everyone to go go listen. It's pretty pretty quick and it's a good conversation. But Nunez talked about how you know the American people, those of us out here um, that are that dig on these things, that look at these things, um, were a tremendous help to him and his uh, investigation in the House because there was just so much stuff to go through and wade through, and he would see some of the stuff that we would find. And it would help point them in the right direction, or at least to remember where they read something, where they saw something. Wait a minute, I, I remember this, but you know, I don't remember where I saw it. And they were able to use our research and analysis and, and um, you know grunt work to help push them in the right direction, um, or at least assist in that way. You know, I don't, I don't want to try and act like we're able to direct investigations because we're finding things necessarily that that others with a ton more data are able to find uh, but maybe we are here and there um and and those are the little things that count so uh sorry i got a little long-winded there but i think you know durham's been doing this a long time he knows the right size of his team for the type of investigation that he has if if he needs more he can always request more and get some more um, if he needs less or people, uh, one aspect of the investigation comes to an end, then people leave his team. And I think he's, he's not going to let that be a hindrance to what he needs to dig into. Thank you. I, I, I think like Durham wants to keep his team tight, right? There's no leaks. It, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I was trying to work out how many people he has in his team, but it's I, I'm guessing less than ten because Muller that was a huge like eighty lawyer thing, and there's a load of leaks. There's nothing come out of Durham. The only thing we ever see out of Durham is his speaking indictments. They just. It, it, like he files an indictment and he explains what he's doing and in, and in part I think that he's also begging for not begging that's the wrong word but he's also giving the green light for us to carry on 
our investigations, the same investigations that that led Nunes and Cash and whatever, and you know, the same OSINT stuff, which is is ongoing. Um, and I don't think I don't think they have the, the resources within a Merrick Garland uh, like DOJ. They're just not going to get that, and which made me thought when they launched the this Trump lawsuit today, and it's maybe saying, well, you guys need to get involved because we definitely know that the the well we we know that Devin Nunes comes on and listens here, and various other people, because to be quite honest, a lot of the people on here. Have done a lot of a legwork, which pre Durham should have been done by uh, the DOJ. Um, and I, I think they all appreciate everybody doing this, like and finding little links, which maybe Durham, as a small, tight team, doesn't have the capacity to do. And um, I, I think. Anybody on here, anybody listening, anybody listening, appreciate that that you're here, that you're you're interested, because well, somebody has to be. Hey, Walker, I had a follow up question. I mean, uh, you brought up Ukraine uh, having implications on slowing down Durham's investigation. I, I hear Ukraine referenced a lot with Russiagate, um, you know, Alexandra Chalupa or, you know, maybe that's not how you pronounce it, uh, comes to mind. But do, who else, do you, you know, do you tie from Ukraine to uh, exactly what went down? Well, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, Konstantin Kalimnik, uh, Manafort's associate, um, that really ties him in a lot. Um, and when you really start digging into it, you know, you mentioned Chalupa, uh, she ties into, to Manafort and it seems like there was a lot of push, um, from Ukrainian officials, um, or, or non, um, that were, that were out to get Manafort for one. Um, but you have, it's hard to to look at Ukrainian politics and say, okay, well, that's that party is the one that aligns with the Democrats, and that party is the one that aligns with the Republicans. Um, you know, that that's not America. It's it's a it's a different country with different politics and and a lot of upheaval in the last decade. Um, so both parties here had lots of. Uh, connections to lots of different parties over there. I'll put it over there. I'll put it that way. You've got lots of people trying to undermine other people. Uh, for them, you know, Trump and, and Hillary are almost just a just pawns in their game because they're looking out for their country, which is understandable. Um, so you, know, you see Ukraine pop up a lot. For, for some of those reasons, you know, because of their their history and, and conflict with Russia, um, you know, they're trying to undermine Russia you know, militarily, 
propaganda, all of that. Um, and who are they trying to convince when they're using this propaganda? Not necessarily their own people. A lot of it is is the Western world, um, NATO, the U.S. I mean, all of us. So you've got a lot of foreign interference, you could say, um, coming from Russia, coming from Ukraine, coming from all over the place. Um, and you, you see it pop up with, let's see, the Podesta hack, supposedly was from a Ukraine address, you know, lots of the hackers and everything, um, anti-Russia hackers, pro-Russia hackers, you know, lots of them are based in Ukraine. Um, you see it pop up with, um, uh, like we mentioned, Manafort, Black Ledger, all of that. Um, they even kind of semi-admit it um, in that January article, January 2017 article by Ken Vogel. Um, then they backtrack and everyone says, no, that's not what that article meant. But then uh, a court over in Ukraine found, I think it was in 2018 or 19, determined that some of the officials over there did interfere with the U.S. election. Um, but then they turn around and say that that court was corrupt. So it's it's hard to say who's who on on all of this. Um, you you can also look at the uh, the first Trump impeachment. You know he called uh, Zelensky over there, said there's stuff with CrowdStrike and a server over there in Ukraine. I hope you get to the bottom of it. You know does Trump always know everything that's going on? Not necessarily. He could have been. And the, the narrative is that he was just, you know, regurgitating right wing crazy theories from the Internet. Then again, he's also the president of the United States. Maybe he knows a little bit more about what happened than we do. Um, so maybe there was something there. Who knows? It's hard to say. Um, the problem is, you know, as you from either side, it all makes sense of, oh, he was about to undermine and blow up this whole whole conspiracy. So that's why they had to rush to impeach him. And the other side saying he's spouting off these conspiracy theories and he's he's that's messing up foreign relations. And not only that, he's trying to get him to look into Joe Biden. And, you know, that's interference. I mean, the, the more you see people try and be anti-corruption, the more you realize both sides are all corrupt. And Ukraine is is right in the middle of all of that. Hey, Walk, uh, I think it was last year. The FBI raided a couple of office buildings, one in Cleveland, of all places. I think the other one was down in Florida. They belonged to a Ukrainian oligarch. And, of course, the they were I think they were the news media was trying to link it to Rudy. So they made the oligarch out to be the most evil person in the world. And he was despicable and horrible. And, boy, you can't wait to find find out what happened. And I've pushed the story around a couple of times. But that whole thing went into a giant black hole. Never heard a word about the. Uh, you know, hundreds of boxes of evidence that they rolled out the front doors on the TV cameras when they thought they could tie it to Rudy. And then it just went away. It was gone. Yeah. Um, you know, I know I, I can't even say the surface level of all the backstory with that oligarch. I believe it's Kolominsky or something similar to that. Um, you know, as, as I got deeper and deeper into into digging into Spygate, Russiagate, however we call it, um, I realized pretty quick that there are whole avenues and pieces of this thing that no one can can keep all in their head. And so I will say about Ukraine, like the Ukraine politics, I don't 
I don't know a lot of that. I don't know a lot of the, the backstory with who these who these uh, oligarchs and politicians are. You know, again, because they they seem to be connected to both sides so much. You know, you've got people that were donating all this money to Hillary, and then it turns out they were also donating it to Trump. So, you know, they're playing all these sides. Um, so if we, I don't know that much about Rudy and Lev Parnas and uh, whoever the other guy was that that got indicted with all, of, you know, that sort of claim of interference. Most of the the whole impeachment thing. You know, I, I rolled my eyes when it started and, and didn't really follow all the details that much like others on here. Um, I'm trying to look through who's listening in. That might be a good one. Um, well, I see quite a few, so I'm not going to call anyone out. But if anyone else wants to take this one, um, go for it, because I'm not an expert on the, the Ukrainian politicians front. Yeah, so... But Kolomiski is the, one of the oligarchs, and he's not, he's a private bank guy. And then there's the, the other guy who was part, partner with him, who ended up Burisma, who ended up paying $83,000 to Hunter Biden. Um, but Kolomitsky was is the sort of ooh, uh, he, he he's the oh it, yeah you're right it's so complex it, it's uh but Kolomitsky and um I forget the other guy's name but there were two major ones uh I think Kolomitsky through his Media company is the the guy who has supported um, the current president of the Ukraine or prime minister. I have no idea what, what he is, but um, the, the guy who plays uh, the piano with his penis. Um, and it's all about corruption. It's it's it similarly with Russia as well. It's like the you know reigning in the, the oligarchs of Russia. The, the Abramovich is the um, Kordiovskis. Anybody who's ever made money in Ukraine in Russia, which are like like resource riches places this is a, an old game it's been going on for years it's it's since 1991 or 97 when we describe when the end of the soviet union happened um who got to take over tokens of the the, the ex uh, ussr and who got to be made uh an oligarch like he because because you have to understand that when we stopped with communism then everybody got a bit of a paper token saying oh you own a bit of like Brussel or uh, any any oil company but that doesn't mean anything so they then sold that to people who actually had money, 
which were and the people who had money are the people who are basically gangsters. And so that's where the oligarchs came from. And it wasn't just in Russia, it's also within Ukraine. And these natural resources, the, the tokens you got given um, for getting out of communism, well, you want to sell them for like hard cash. And that's how the oligarchs came about. You So you, you push forward like 30 years and they're buying football teams in like the UK or or yachts everywhere. Now, that's all been taken away from them. You know, all the riches that the Russians, the Ukrainians have, have like built up over that time or the oligarchs have, has all just been swept away from them. Uh, you have people like searching about for the yachts or it, 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 that's quite scary but there's also Ukrainian oligarchs and the Ukrainian oligarchs who are very close to Russian oligarchs this is where we get to like the people like Olga Galkina um uh, Igor Dantenko's uh, relations it's, it's all intermingled but the, it, 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 it's about whether who runs Ukraine and and I, I don't know how long I've been saying about this but the whole Spygate thing is all about Ukraine, it's always been about Ukraine um, it's the Chalupas the Andrei Telechenko's, it's McCain, Lindsey Graham. It's it's all about this this like a fungible border, which was Ukraine, like from NATO into Russia, and basically Putin's gone. Well, no, uh, I don't really want that border there, and he's he's now gone to war. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ukraine's certainly a large part of Russiagate, and got a lot more to learn about the Black Book that uh, served as a predicate for the investigation into Manafort. So, uh, yeah. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Isn't anything about Igor Danatenko about to come out next week? Uh, I think I saw a story today, and I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding. I, I don't believe any documents are being released. Now, um, Durham is going to uh, give Danchenko and his defense team a whole bunch of classified documents, but Durham's not going to release those documents. It's just um, he's getting them declassified so that he can give them uh, to Danchenko to prepare his defense. So I wouldn't expect us to, to see anything on that. Also, also, I have a question. Do you yeah. think he committed visa fraud? Visa fraud? Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know the legalities of it and whether it's how to, how it'd be prosecuted. I mean, he was 
part of some type of money laundering scheme so that he could maintain U.S.-based employment. But in reality, he was getting paid by Orbis Intelligence, that, and they were laundering payments through Target Labs. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's probably not ideal, but I, I don't see him actually getting prosecuted for that. I, I don't even know what the statute of limitations are, but I imagine they're, they're pretty well expired by now. Speaking of that, what, one of the things we were joking about was, well, well can't uh, Durham go back to uh, Danchenko and tell him, hey, look, we could just deport you back to Russia and, you know, maybe you'll get drafted and uh, end up fighting uh, in Ukraine. So make a decision. <laughs> but uh, apparently he's too old for that. Um, but w- that that was one of the things I was thinking about, too, uh, is we were just earlier we were talking about whether Steele was going to be indicted and how that would be difficult and et cetera. But. I think it's been really hard to build this conspiracy case that we're all talking about. If Dan Tank, if you know, you get Danchenko on one side and you've got fusion and everybody else on the other side and not have steel at, you know, he's a big, you know, cog in this wheel. And if he's not indicted or at least brought as a witness and forced to cooperate somehow, it's, I think it's really hard to connect all these dots. What about like financial documents from Orbis? <laughs> I, I just don't think you're going to ever get Steele like, extradited from the UK to the US. Like, it, it's taken how long to get Assange to get extradited from UK to US? Well, I, I think it, it kind of depends on how aggressive Durham wants to be. I mean, if you know, the British are going to, they're going to go with the past path of least resistance and if if documents start getting thrown out there that uh implicates the british in this scheme and and the british have a lot of questions to to answer for their role and what they knew i mean if they start getting embarrassed in there they might they might hand over steel i mean i wouldn't put it outside the the realm of possibilities but you know if everything stays pretty well sealed and then you know they indict steel yeah maybe maybe it's a little bit harder to to get him extradited. I saw that somebody over there uh, brought him in for a talk a couple weeks ago to get his thoughts as the expert on Russia uh, in connection to the Ukrainian invasion. So I, I don't know. I, I don't I, I, have a good feeling of how well liked he is over there or disliked. I, but I, I, It's not happening. It's literally not happening. There's no way that Steele, an ex-MI5 agent is going to get ex- extradited to the US. Assange uh, wasn't MI, MI6 or whatever. Um, I, it, 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 it depends. It, it, I mean, if he if he's indicted in a conspiracy and people start going to prison here and, you know, just a mountain of documents come out uh, that implicates the British, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, it's, it's hard to predict these things, of course, and a lot of it will depend on who's president and how far they're willing to go to kind of enforce that, I think. But I wouldn't put it out. I wouldn't rule it out. I, I think, um, you know, I think I read somewhere that Steele used to like to visit the United States. I think he had like a vacation home here at one point. So I, I don't know. I mean, Steele might decide to come forward and just cooperate and just try to cut a deal. Uh, that includes no prison time, and, and they might give him that. I mean, if that he can, would, that would be great. That would, be yeah. Great. I mean, if he can connect some dots that Durham can't connect without his testimony, you know, 
he'll get a deal and and you know i think steel might be open to that i mean um he he he's not going to want to be a pariah i mean even if they you know i think he wants to come out of this ahead and if he can push the blame on Danchenko, which is a real possibility and push it on Danchenko and Clinton and kind of uh, extricate himself from the situation uh, i think he he might consider doing something like that but, but you also have to understand that like maybe steel and MI6 or whatever, and and they're looking into Russia and Ukraine. But they're literally like Danchenko and his subsource network is literally the intelligence they have, and um, um, that's a possibility. And he could he could have been doing it all in 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 good faith. I I could see that and but then you worry about well the intelligence around Ukraine and Russia right now. Um but if that's the best they ever had was Danchenko as a subsource. I don't really worry about that. I really do. Yeah, I, I want to go ahead and give Vicky a chance to ask a question. She's been really patient. And then uh, Durham, I see you, you've been here for a while too. So, Vicky, if you want to go ahead and uh, – I don't know if you have a question or comment, but go ahead. I'm sorry, Vicky, are you there? Vicky, you might have something wrong with your microphone. I, I don't think you're coming through. <laughs> Sorry, Vicky. If you wanna, if you wanna take another shot with that, um, Durham, why don't you go ahead? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, first and foremost, all of you guys that have been putting in so much work on this stuff, I'm so grateful for everything you've done. And uh, for creating this space as well. It's totally awesome. Oh, um, thanks. Appreciate that. My uh, comment. Sorry, I just got here to the party, so I don't know what's been spoken about earlier tonight. But um, I'm just so excited about the Trump civil lawsuit. I had completely overlooked the civil angle. And you look at the list of defendants there. And, I mean, it's just great. I, I can only imagine how this is going to dovetail with what Durham's already been doing. Because he can use all the stuff that, that Durham's been finding, all the stuff that this group has been bringing forward. And... Uh, wow, discovery is going to be awesome in that civil case. So I just wanted to bring that up and see what your commentary was on that. And if you share my excitement, that's about it. I'm going to unmute my mic. <laughs> yeah, so we, I think we kind of kicked off the chat with that. And um, it, it's, I think I share your excitement on the whole. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see Trump get into the fray a little bit, um, but I'm not real clear on his expectations. And I think I, I presented the possibility. I mean, if Trump's goal is just to force this into the media conversation and get some media attention on this, I think that's a job well done. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, with Durham probably doing a few more indictments here relatively soon, uh, I think that's important for him to do. I think that's great. And if that's all he was intending, I think that's, that's fine. 
now if he wants to get to discovery um you know i was going to kind of let the the lawyers speak to that a little bit more um and dms certain things were pointed out to me where you know the filing as it is right now probably is insufficient i think there's going to be some problems and it's going to be a pretty lengthy process before he even gets to the discovery phase if he does um but first and foremost i think they would have to do an amended filing or an addendum and, and try to add in some more details so um, there's like a four-year statute of limitations. I don't know if that's the right terminology for it, but um, you know, there's got to be a, a predicate act within the last four years. And the filing, I, you know, I just scanned it. I didn't really read it too thoroughly. I don't think it really enunciated any predicate acts within the last four years. So they they mm. could certainly clean that up. I think there's a few things they could point to, um, but that would be one thing they have to to clean up and then there were a few mistakes and a few sloppy errors and you don't want to see that particularly in your your initial filing um you know there's wasn't mm-hmm. stuff that wasn't necessarily wrong other than them describing a few things as a hack when it really isn't supported but um there's some things that just aren't supported by public reporting and, and knowledge as it is right now gotcha in that case i haven't actually read it so but if that's what you're saying, then I'm going to go with uh, what's behind door number two. And I'm going to guess that Trump is wagering that uh, the benefit of bringing this forward to have a media talking point at this stage is worth it, whether he wins or loses. And I agree with that assessment. So um, cool stuff. You guys keep up the good work and lots of love. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, hey, Ryan, I don't think Trump's really after money, right? I think he's after getting some, some answers and maybe some media attention on this, which is good. Just to uh, Durham's point right there, uh, I just did a quick scan of the document, uh, Control-F, just for 2018. The only yep. act that they have listed is for Felipe Reigns for the 2018 tweet on April 16th. I'm sorry, can you say that again? I think it broke up a little bit. Oh, sorry. Uh, the only uh, thing that they have in the filing for 2018 uh, is Fili- uh, Felipe Reigns. Uh, for his tweet about collusion, yes, collusion, yes, collusion. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they have to do an amended filing if they're serious about getting to the discovery phase. That's my opinion, and, and I'm a layman. I, like, I'm not a, a lawyer or a, like a source of a knowledge on this. Like, walk a fire, if you want to weigh in, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You don't have to. No pressure. Uh, well, so I, I am not a big expert on, um, you know, statute of limitations and, and certainly not not RICO and and all that. Um, you know, it's it's it was an interesting filing. Um, I skimmed it. I think I read the entire, however many pages it was, a uh, hundred pages or something crazy like that in about three minutes. So, um, I, I did not, um, you know, really give it a deep dive or anything yet. Um, but just on its face, I was, I was kind of worried about, uh, some allegations that are in there as fact that weren't quite accurate. Um, at least not from, from what we've seen, um, or at least not, um, alleged anywhere, um, as fact other than here. Um, I, so I worry that, that 
this was was fired off a little quickly, um, which then makes me wonder why. You know, why are they filing it now? What's what's happening here? Is this supposed to help Durham somehow? Is this going to hinder Durham? I, I don't know. Um, I find it interesting that um, it was in 2017, maybe 2018, you know, the, the DNC sued Trump and, and his campaign and about you know, the same number of you know, 100 individuals or whatever. Uh, and they used that kind of as their own speaking indictment, you could almost say, kind of like what's going on here. Here's where we're going to put it all together. It's not uh, a news article or anything. It's our chance to really put it all together and, and show the public, um, you know, whether it accomplishes that, I don't know. Um, same with the DNC filing. There were some little bits and pieces in there that, that people ran with, but eventually they it, it just petered out. I think it took a year or longer for them to get everyone properly served and um, just just get the thing off the ground. And that's probably going to happen here. You know, you've got twenty, thirty, maybe more than that defendants, and each one's going to try and push back on on just being properly served um that's going to take forever so i'm not quite sure what to think of it um it'll be interesting to see what what happens i worry that it that it could be detrimental to durham's investigation but i don't know yeah that's interesting <laughs> I think you had some good points there, and I, I think I share some of the concerns that you raised. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe this is the straw that that tips Joffy over into cooperating, right? Maybe he he feels the pressure and he he runs to John Durham tomorrow morning and says, you know, this is what happened. This is everything I know, and that that would be nice. But beyond you know, that, I, it, it could, could be happen that, that these lawyers <laughs> are trying to figure out everything and try and wrap their heads around the entire Russia gate, which even all of us can't quite do. So how best to get fact checkers to, to help them out file this. We'll probably all tweet about how this is wrong or this isn't proven. And then they file an amended one once they can really get their head around it. I mean, that might be what's going on. Who knows? Uh, I, I think that's the purpose of it is to formulate or formalize what Trump and his lawyers have been observing, watching what's happening, and it's. But I don't see it's going to in, increase the speed at which Durham happens. So that's why my first initial question was: Well, how do you get involved in that lawsuit? Do we become amicus curiae or whatever, like friends of the court? Because probably a lot of the people indicted there is from our research. I I, I don't know. I, I, I it's an interesting timing. Like, how do we get involved, or is it, or is the lawsuit being put out by people who aren't in Trump's best behavior, uh, like looking out for the Trump, just 
putting that lawsuit out so that it, it delays everything. I, you, we have to have these questions going on all the time because you know, the same way as like the lawyers he chose like post election twenty twenty and they're not that good and then you look at the lawyers now, we need to research this because or who's advising him to put a civil lawsuit in which might preclude anything in the Durham investigation. I, I don't know. I, I these are questions. It's, I've, I have no answers. But it, it sounded like all the lawyers agreed that this was going to be a slow process under the best of circumstances. And if it butted up against Durham, it was going to be stayed because obviously you can't bring these people in that are potentially under indictment or witnesses and have them interviewed because they're going to take the fifth or whatever. So it, it shouldn't interfere, at least as I understand it. And the lawyers have kind of said, so is it a publicity? I don't want to say stunt, but is it to bring attention to it? That, that's probably a good point. But the thing I worry about is, you know, some of the stuff with Trump, it, things turn out like the Giuliani things after the election that end up being sort of a clown show. And does that muddy the political waters? Because at the end of the day, Durham's still under the thumb of the attorney general. And if they decided, if, if this thing got kind of, politicized enough and crazy enough and that they could pull the plug and just say, Oh, this whole thing is, it, it's just uh it's Trump and it's political, it's political and we're pulling the plug because it's just not, you know, there's no case here. And that's the biggest fear is that, you know, it's always been our, our, our worry that, uh, that Garland could come along under enough pressure and just say, okay, this thing's over. We're, we're, we're cutting the cord and he's got the power to do it. And yeah, then the Republicans can make a big stink about it, but <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Right. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not sure. I, I was just gonna say, like, I, I don't think there's enough. Um, you know, Biden can't handle anything more right now. Like, if if Garland did that, and obviously we're only a few months away from the midterms, like, there's just it would just be a nightmare, right? I mean, one more scandal, Biden's approval's already at thirty percent. Like, it would just be a nightmare in the midterm. So I don't. I don't know that I'm all that worried about it, especially with three indictments and just a mountain of documents that we've gotten. And, and even the more recent stuff within the last couple of weeks, I mean, the stuff that Mario Cleveland's been putting out is just amazing. And uh, if Durham, if Durham were, were to get shut down by Garland, which I, I just, I don't think it would happen. I mean, you're just talking about just a, a massive scandal and, um, you know, that's something that would haunt Democrats for, for decades. And I, I don't think, I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm just saying that this might make it easier because if it's a big smoke bomb that goes off, like the farther that Trump stays away from this, in my opinion, at, at this point, the better, because let it, let the legal legalities work themselves out. Let Durham do his thing. And I know it's really hard because it's been all these years, but the one, the one guy that could blow this thing up politically is probably Donald Trump. That's just the, the the reality of you know the the media and everything else that could just get everybody together to say, oh, we we've seen what happens when when tech and the media get together and they say we're going to shut this thing down. We're you know it's Donald Trump that we we have to not let him you know say what he's going to say. They can kind of do that, and that's fucked up and it's crazy. But 
I, if I had my druthers, I kind of think maybe Trump would stay away from this and let Durham do it. It might serve us all better. I guess I would take the other side of it. I mean, nobody drives the story in the media like Donald Trump. I mean, the guy's been banned on social media for, you know, 14, 15 months or whatever. And basically he said nothing and basically he's done nothing, but he's still the lead story on CNN. He's still the lead story on MSNBC. And, you know, if he actually got around to it and, and just spent a couple hours and just, or just read it off a teleprompter and just said the right things. I mean, he could actually add some media attention on this, uh, which I think would be good. I mean, if people, I say this all the time, so people, I'm sorry if you get annoyed, but if people knew what we know, this would be the largest story and the biggest story in American politics and in American media right now. I mean, this would be the number one story on every network every single night because there is a lot here. And obviously, it's a massive story and there's a lot of angles to it, but it goes deep too. I mean, there's, you know, there's some real inconsistencies that there are that are out there and um for every everybody that doesn't know what's going on they point to something stupid i mean you can you can rip them apart with with information that we have now and there are so many questions that need to be asked and deserve to be asked i mean if they just read the same documents we did you know they would read like they would they would they would have to come to a conclusion that there is probably a conspiracy in operation um, or there was, and you know, there probably are some massive indictments still to come. And uh, that's true, but it's like we have to be careful about him getting over skis, like with the Rudy, the election stealing, etc. Like, yes, we are arbiters of the truth. I don't know, but we are. But we're. We're closer to it than than most, but do we want his media like? Because yeah, we we're we're deep diving down on like everything which has gone on. I'm sure he has an overview, but but does it want to be represented wrongly, uh, or do we want to wait for Durham to? actually like deliver the goods and and drop some indictments i i i I, i'm not sure about that i I, yes i i I like the fact that he's put a lawsuit in it does it's deserving but you know the the time scales it's it's years down the lines like we're another year and a half before we even get into discovery or something. Whereas with Durham, we're we're within hopefully. Well, no, we're not within the statute of limitations, but we're we're within months of the statute of limitations. So things are likely to happen, which are actually criminal rather than which statute is that. Well, which, oh, yeah, so statute of limitations. Um, I don't know, I started going on about them in 2018. Uh, I think uh, January 
the 18th, 20th of uh, 2018, which was the, the five years that Hillary left the uh, State Department. And that was like the last time you could charge her. Because generally, like most crimes, the statute limitations are five years. Like most federal crimes are, are, are five years. There's some eight years and some 10 years and some 20 years. And like the eight, 10 and 20 years, they're all like, you have to like kidnap somebody and do some violent shite to them. I remember some life, but the only thing which changes that statute of limitations is that you have a conspiracy, but this RICO thing, which is really hard to prove. Um, but as soon as you start covering up the act of the conspiracy, then that's when your statute of limitations starts again. So we could say that is the case with everything that has happened with Spygate because you know, you know, we are going through the five years of statute of limitations for your normal federal like lying to the FBI. That's that's why Sussman got done that time is because that was just within the five year of statute of limitations and we've been watching them them go through and we're now in March. So we're now equivalent March 2017, uh, mid-March 2017. And I think we've gone through all the statute of limitations of when, like, all the lying. I, I'm not sure. Have we gone past when, uh, when uh, Jeffrey went to the CIA? Yeah, so Joffe went to the CIA, um, I think it was February 2017, but there are a plenty of overt acts. So there's a couple of things that I think we're conflating a little bit. So um, Trump filed the RICO lawsuit, and there's a four-year statute of limitations on that. And there are some predicate acts out there um, that I can think of. And I, I pointed out, like, the July 2018 letter from the FBI to Congress basically saying – yeah, there's nothing wrong with Danchenko. We found, found him to be honest. And by that point, they'd interviewed him like seven times, and they knew full well there was a lot of problems with him. So I would have pointed to that as a predicate act um, if I was doing the filing for the Trump lawsuit today. Um, so I would think that's probably within statute of limitations. They might have had a little bit more time. And I think there's probably a few others as well they might be able to work with. Um, to your point, on, on a criminal basis... Uh, it is generally pretty much a five-year statute of limitations, depending on the on the crime. Uh, what we're looking at now is a conspiracy, uh, and I, I don't think there's any question about it, at least for me, um, that there will be a conspiracy charged, and that goes five years from the last overt act of any conspirator. So anybody that you bring into the conspiracy, you know, whatever overt act the last person makes uh, is going to be like the basis for that five-year uh, uh, statute of limitations. So 
you know, Rodney Joffe was actually also involved with the Daniel Jones investigation on the behalf of the, the Senate. So I don't even recall the date of when that report got turned in, um, but Joffe was involved with that and provided data and analysis uh, and kind of did some coordinating with, you know, finding the right people to talk to. So I know that still has, I think, several months to go. I, I feel safe in being able to say that. I, I don't remember when that actually wrapped up, but I would imagine, you know, that's probably a pretty safe area uh, that would reset the statute of limitations as far as, you know, Joffe goes. Um, and I see we have Sean here, and Sean, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, guys. I uh, have not read Trump's lawsuit. Uh, I would imagine that it doesn't really include any new information. The only reason I jumped in here was to ask about um, this uh January 20-something uh, meeting that occurred in the White House, uh, according to Rick Gates's book, um, where apparently this whole um, Russiagate kind of thing uh, originated. Um, yeah, 2016 January sounds right. I looked up the White House visitor logs and parsed out January uh, that date and uh, sent those that along in a spreadsheet to you guys. I have had no time to go through and look, um, but I was wondering if you guys had followed up on that. Uh, and if not, you know, I'll take a second look when I have a chance. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that back up. I, I don't think I've gotten a chance to take a look at that, but yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's definitely one that um, I was interested in. And I think we were going to, we were going to try to back channel with some of our contacts to kind of get close to uh, people around Rick Gates to, to see if we could find out a little bit more about that. Um, I don't know. You know, we, we obviously, we just don't have the background on that. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely something worth worthwhile and, and worth following up on. So I'll, I'll track down that and I'll, I'll see if I can kind of look through those names and see if I see if I know any of them for sure. Yeah, that was the only reason why I jumped in, and uh, you guys can feel free to uh, DM me for that spreadsheet. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, thanks, Ryan, for hosting this, and uh, I'll catch you guys on the flip side. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you coming in. Hey, Vicky, go ahead. Hey, can you hear me this time? Yes, yes, we can. Yes. Okay, great. Hey, um, I'm curious. Everybody was talking about Christopher Steele earlier tonight um, and the British connection and whether that, you know, is relevant anymore. Um, I wondered if anybody has any more information about Stefan Halper and the Office of Net, Net Assessment. Um, I'm very, very curious if if there's any more information on that, um, because that seems to me like there was some outside of the country activity uh, with Stefan Halper being in England and getting tips from, especially relevant considering all the recent revelations about the 50 Intel officials who, you know, put a kibosh on the Hunter Biden laptop, I thought maybe there might be some more 
interesting information coming out about that. Yeah. So, uh, obviously that's been a, a big point of speculation for a few years. I don't, I don't know if we can connect it to the 50 intelligence officials, but, um, yeah, that, I mean, unfortunately we really haven't learned a whole lot about Stefan Halper and that's particularly outrageous because it's been several years now that Senator Grassley and, and others have been making inquiries about this and they've just been stonewalled. And I, I'm amazed that the Senate can make legitimate inquiries of the executive branch and then the executive branch can just ignore them and nothing happens. I'm, I'm amazed that that can happen. Um, yes, there's a lot of questions about his, his office of net assessment uh, contracts. I mean, if you really look at them, they're like book reports and they're, you know, I think a couple of them in the proposals, he said he would go talk to people. I think out of four uh, contracts, he only actually did one interview and it was like with his buddy pretty much. Uh, so, you know, these are pretty much like book reports for school pretty much. And uh, for the amount of money that he was paid, I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, either it, it's something really massive or it's just something just crazy government spending. And I, I don't like either answer uh, either way. I, I don't like it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we got to learn more about them. We, you know, it's a big piece yet still to be learned. I, I think we will find out that he is connected to somebody else in the story, but we just don't have that piece yet. Well, to me, it looks like they've got um, a lot of money funneled through the Office of Net Assessment that's being used for, you know, off the book stuff that, that, intel operations that they can do overseas and i'd like to find out if anybody has more information on that because i have a personal interest in that so yeah i mean uh walker fire if you want to jump in go ahead uh, i was just gonna say real quick i don't know if um mark hemingway's piece a couple weeks ago in real clear investigations is what uh sparked your question or, or, or uh, cause it to come to the forefront again. You know, we hadn't heard much about Halper in a while. Um, it's a really, really good piece. It really walks through his background and history. Um, I don't recall there being a ton of new stuff, um, but, but I won't say that it's relevant, but I will say it's relevant. Um, I read it. I found it very interesting. Um a lot of the stuff we already knew, but it was good to see it all put together in print. Um, Margot Cleveland had a follow-up, I believe, a few days ago, talking about it as well. Um, that was a good piece. And then, you know, it, it just reminded me to go back and read uh, Stephen Trage's, uh blog post um, about or not blog post. I think he was interviewed by Matt Tybee um, where he really laid out some interesting information about his interactions with, with Halper with um, inviting Carter page to that conference over there in, in London in uh, June, June or July, June of 2016. Um, You know, I think Shragi had meant to, had some follow-up public pieces and then we never saw them. Um, I'm hopeful that is because he also said that he had 
been trying to get in contact with Durham. And so, you know, maybe something happened there. And so he, you know, the kibosh was put on him putting more stuff out in public um, while Durham was investigating. But some really, really interesting um, nuggets and tidbits from him. Um, I believe that came out in 2019 or 2020. Um, I can't remember exactly when, um, but it was a, it was a very, very interesting, uh, interview that he had and, and, uh, information that he released at the time. So I would say, I think odds are very good that, that Durham has been exploring that aspect of things and that we might be able to learn some more uh, on that very soon. Oh, thank you for that. I, I'm interested in it because I have a personal long-term relationship with the director of the ONA, and so I'm very interested to hear what happens with that. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know, my friend Donna, who well, I've known for years, but... Um, She's been going down and looking at the Adam Lovinger elements recently. Um, he was possibly the, the first whistleblower out of ONA. Um, she's been making me look back at, at what the Office of Net Assessment was, which is basically, it's, it's like a a 20-year view on the strategic, like, readiness of, of the U.S. Um, but then maybe linking to how the ONA is then, like, I think Lovinger was the whistleblower who, who was like, why are, are these contracts going to people like Halper? Or and other people, and I don't know who which other people they went to, but um, it seems to be a a quite lack lackadaisical way of like like throwing out contracts or or for them to make money. Um, but as far as Halper goes, I believe um, so. He was was it in the nineteen seventies, but he. I forget his the, the dad he the, the the step not step the the, the father-in-law he married into got him a job um, so he 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 worked there he got his PhD um, he worked his way up within the Department of Defense something and then became an academic in. In Cambridge in 2001, uh, got his second PhD, um, got told off by the FBI for being very naughty with, uh, like, trying to scam some other informant as a CHS or something, got given his last warning. And that's when we had the the whole like uh, um, Stephen Halper 
Svetlana Lakova uh, issue. Right. Yes. Yeah, hopefully we hopefully we do find out a little bit more about Halper. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry we don't we don't have more any more information about him right now. Um, some interesting leads and and I think we're all trying to find out more, but we just don't we just don't have it. So, hey, I'm gonna jump in real quick. I've got to uh, pop off for the night, everyone. But glad I was able to join. Um, Ryan, awesome uh, awesome spaces as always. <laughs> um, hope to be uh, able to pop in a lot more uh, here in the future. I know I've missed the last few, but sounds like you've been doing a great job. So, <laughs> thanks so much, everybody. I appreciate that, Walkfire. It's always a, such a pleasure to have you here, and, and being able to have you answer our, our questions is always just great. I mean, we don't, it's a rare opportunity for, for us to get our, our questions answered, and we appreciate you coming in, giving us your time. Absolutely, absolutely, and and hey, you're you're doing great work on your side. Talk about devoting <laughs> time. I mean, man, you're you're just blowing and going. It's great. It's great to see uh, all the interest and um, you know everyone, everyone you know contributing in all the different ways they are. So, thanks to you. Thanks to everyone else. Y'all have a good night. Appreciate it. You have a good night, sir. Alrighty, well, hate to hate to lose Walker Fire. I'll uh, I'll give it another minute here. If anybody has any questions or comments, that happy to take anything. Um, don't necessarily have to go late. It seems like I've been doing these chats shorter and shorter. We used to go seven or eight hours. Now I'm now I'm at like two hours, and I'm like wrapping it up. Daniel, what's up, man? Um, I just saw you and MB. What are your assessment? What's your assessment of uh, Constantine Kalimnik? You think he's actually you know, not a Russian agent, or you think it's uh, it's true? Is it that's like the last thing they're hanging on these articles? It, <laughs> it's like that's the only claim that they have left. Yeah, there, I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, I don't, I don't even care if he is a Russian agent. I, it just doesn't matter. I mean, you know, allegiances over there are so fluid. I mean, it. So what? I mean you're looking at so he's ukrainian born first of all so he's not born in russia uh is he a russian agent i i don't know i think somebody that you can really take a lot of um your lead on is somebody like a rick gates so rick gates threw everybody in the trump world on their bus he, like he took a deal he gave up everything he knew and he and he's saying like there's nothing there like nothing between manafort and Kalimnik had anything to do with trump and russia or any type of conspiracy and we'll never be able to pound that into uh you know the liberals heads but you know if there was something there it would have come out i mean it, it just would have because rick gates needed everything he he could uh to get himself out of jail and uh, manafort i mean if he was looking for a deal he would have traded that in a heartbeat i mean he got he got heavy time right and anything that he could have given up to get himself out of that, I think he would have. And when you actually don't dig into this, like Aaron Monte had a great piece on this and like, you're talking about a couple of headline polling numbers. Uh, that was, there were like a couple months old at that point. And polls, as we know, have been worthless. Polls are absolutely worth 
they showed Trump down like 15 points in this last election. And we all know, like, it was very, very close. It was less than a, a percentage, really. Um, so, I mean, what value is pulling data? It's not, and, and it, if you debunk everything else and you say, well, okay, there wasn't collusion there and there, there wasn't any type of effort, you know, in coordination with Russians, then who cares? I mean, this is just some guy and they share a couple of headline numbers. Like, I don't know, I'm starting to ramble, but I just don't, I just don't see anything there. And it's not a done deal that he's a Russian guy. I don't know. He might have some allegiances there, might have some contacts, but when everything else has been lit on fire, for them to hang on that, I, I just don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, compared, to, compared to what Hillary did, compared to what Fusion did through, you know, I don't think Danchenko was a Russian agent, but he could have been. That's that's the point is no one knew, you know, they're taking all this stuff from Danchenko. He might have been a Russian agent. I don't, I'm 99% sure he wasn't, but he might have been. So it, it's a joke. It's, it's, it's a hay squirrel, you know. Hey, Don, what's up, man? Hey, this is actually, this is Donna. Can you hear me? Oh, Donna. Yeah. How's it going? I'm good. Um, Willie just mentioned me a little while ago. Um, something that I've been looking at, and it's just been tugging at my head for a long time, is with Adam Lavender and his story. Um, and when you started pulling all of this funding with Georgia Tech and DARPA, and the fund, and you're trying to figure out who funded them. I keep going back to what um, Adam found with the Office of Net Assessment and who was going after him. It was the Washington Headquarters Services. That was who f was funding and, and doing everything to go after him with the whistleblower stuff. And we started doing a deep dive into the Washington Headquarters Services, and they are in charge of contracts and FOIA requests and investigations and all of this stuff within the DOD. And I'm just wondering if you've looked into doing any kind of FOIA to try to get anything from them to see if they're the ones that were actually funded and signed the contracts for the Georgia Tech people. Has that come up for you at all? Uh, yes. I'm sorry. Could you say that entity again within the DOD that you're mentioning? Washington Headquarters Services. Okay. So I haven't done with them, dealt with them directly. I do have FOIAs in at the Department of Defense um, pursuing a, a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, so I, I don't know about that portion uh, particularly, but, but yes, I, I have plenty of FOIAs in at, at the Department of Defense. I know a few others do too. Um, but as far as funding goes, I mean, I think we actually have that pretty pretty well nailed down as far as what, what was under contract. So um, certain, like the enhanced attribution contracts, and there's a few different names and a few different programs that were ongoing, so I can't really pinpoint it for you. Um, but funding was going, it was flowing from DARPA to Georgia Tech. Now, Georgia Tech needs data in order to perform the projects that they're under contract for, and they purchased data from Newstar. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But they purchased this data from Newstar in, in order to facilitate these projects. Now, the 
program, uh, the main program that we're aware of, didn't really formalize until November 2016, but they were under a proof-of-concept model, um, so they had some preliminary access. Now, <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of a piece that's, that's coming out, but um, you know, they were doing some work before funding arrived, is my understanding, and my reading of, of certain things that I'm looking at. And that kind of begs the question of where did some of this data come from and where did some of that funding come from? Because one of the things that we even pick up from the, the Joffe deposition is that uh, the alpha lawyers ask them, uh, or they, they state explicitly, you know, their understanding was Joffe obtained this data from the Amsterdam Internet Exchange, which if you look it up actually has ties to Newstar. And then that kind of opens the question of, well, if Joffe had that access through Newstar, how or why is April Lorenzen the originator, right? That doesn't really make sense. So uh, that's an open question that we have to get more, more answers on. Um, but yeah, like who, under what contract was the funding provided that actually purchased the original data for the Alpha Bank analysis? That remains to be seen. I, I just there's just too many programs and too many companies and people involved to, to actually say. And it might it might be a hodgepodge of a few different entities. And that's not to imply that any members of government knew um, or had awareness of this scheme, if you want to call it that. But um, there are some indications that there were actually some malicious actors in government um, that knew some of what these what these guys were doing so um well i guess something one of the things that pings me about the washington headquarters services is how they specifically went after lovinger when he blew the whistle and he blew the whistle on not just a halper but also uh barbara uh clevenger or clevenger deal I'm sorry. Sorry, I got her name wrong. Sorry, I got to look it up. Um, she was a she was a Hillary person. Uh, Jackie Newmeyer deal. Those were the two people that he blew the whistle on. And right before he blew the whistle, about the time he did, they brought in Barbara Westgate. She came in. She was asked to come back out of retirement by Obama and. April of 2016, she took over Washington headquarters services. And then that's when the balls, all of that stuff started coming in with Halper. And the, and that's when Adam started digging into this stuff. And that's when they started going after him. He found emails uh, and that just described everything that they did to go after him. He's been trying. And the last that I could find was Judicial Watch was working with him to get those emails FOIA and they refused the FOIA. And that was in 2018. And there's and there's an interview with Lovinger from January of 2019. He did it with Louis Gomert one day when Louis was substituting for Sean. And Adam said that uh, Durham was looking at his case and that was about the time that you from your timelines that was about the time the Georgia Tech people started getting e emails from Durham so I'm just wondering if it, all of this stuff is just interconnected 
with all of these government contracts going at the same time, they were looking at all this stuff. I just wanted to put that out there as stuff that I've been kind of threads I've been pulling at. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. And to be honest, it's been quite some time since I looked at the Lovinger stuff, but um, I will pull it up and I'll see. Maybe I'll, I'll try a FOIA. You never know. Sometimes if, even if you put in the same FOIA, you know, maybe they'll grant it this time and, and maybe I can take a look at that. Um, no promises. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah that, but that would I, be interesting to would, know more about. Sorry, go there, ahead. There, yeah, there's Judicial Watch did an article. I can, I can send it to you the yeah. articles because judicial watch they tried to get him and they basically they they shut him down and said he couldn't have them i'll send you the stuff that i found going through it but they really went after him hard and you know they 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 really screwed him over but i've just found it interesting that durham got involved in his case and it's about all of it seemed to be about these contracts he was looking at that so that makes me wonder if that's when he started pulling on this georgia tech threat at the same time so yeah i i i have to be a little bit careful <laughs> i i don't want to get oh, too far oh, out I of know. my skis unfortunately oh I, I, oh I know i know i'm just like i said yeah when you started pulling on that thread it reminded me of those interviews that i saw with adam i was like huh that's interesting timing and so i just started pulling on the thread again so yeah i mean it'll be interesting because there are some indications and there are there is this big discrepancy at darpa right now right because um, Manos and others are saying they did attributional work on the DNC hack for DARPA, and DARPA saying no, no, we didn't test them at all with that. And right. um, there's but if you obviously look at, so many but if questions. You, but if you look at who Washington Headquarters Services, who they have, who they work with, and who the mm -hmm. departments that they oversee, DARPA is one of them. Right. So it's like, what is the deal? And Adam said that he'd been working for DOD since 2006 and he had never even heard of Washington headquarters services until they got involved in his case. So that's kind of how embedded this group is within the, the, within the DOD. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd hate to think that the, the corruption is so massive that it ties together the, the helper contracts and the, the Georgia tech contracts, but I, I can't rule it out because I mean, that, yeah, you just don't know where it, it leads. If, this reporting was going to DARPA and leading up or, or however the tasking was coming down. So we'll see. I mean, it's, it's definitely something to keep in mind going forward. And um, as we look at documents, it's certainly worthwhile to, to make sure we're, we're considering all these references to um, all the acronyms and, and all these different yeah. uh, things that are going on. So. And he, and he's, he was specifically looking and his lawyer. I mean, I, I pulled the interviews with his lawyers. They were specifically looking for specific names and you can just see if it pops up, if the names pop up in anything that you've seen and it would see okay. if there's any kind of connections. I don't know. I just, I just, I'm seeing kind of, I'm just wondering about the timing. I guess that's what I'm saying. It seems that the timing was interesting on when he said that Durham got involved in his case. So, yeah, and I appreciate about bringing it up. Being there. So, yeah, I'd be happy to take a look. I, I appreciate bringing it up. It's always, you know, Russiagate is so massive that you can't, can't remember everything. So it's always good to, to have people with different perspectives and ideas. And um, sometimes they, they really come together. So that's, that's good. I appreciate it. Okay. No problem. Thanks though. Thank you. All right.
Alrighty. Does anybody else have any questions or comments? Wide open. Just real quick. Sure. I know that James Baker, who runs the Office of Net Assessment, is a retired naval intelligence officer. So it's definitely a t uh, part of the Department of Defense somehow. Um, he's only the second director there. So uh, it's definitely got a, <clears throat> an, a military connection. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think there are some massive problems in the Department of Defense. Um, but, I, you know, I don't I want to be really cautious about, like, throwing out names and stuff. I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we obviously want to keep everybody in mind as, as we move forward and um, as we start getting through, through documents. And, and, you know, there are, there are some problems there, and we are going to learn more. And more will come out in public reporting, certainly. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep everybody in mind. There's also multiple James Bakers, so just everyone keep that in mind. Yeah, keep that in mind. There's there's a million of them, right? <laughs> All righty. Well, I'm going to do my, my countdown. This is like my trust fall type scenario where I say... You know, we're going to start winding down, and then I, I kind of leave it open. And then if somebody asks us questions, like, we'll go as long as we, we need to. So if anybody has a question, go ahead and uh, request to speak. Otherwise, I might wrap this up. There we go. See, I, I prompt somebody, and then we just keep going. What's going on, Rick? How are you doing tonight? Rick, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, Ryan? <clears throat> and, Pretty and good. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, another great spaces tonight. Uh, you do great work. I'll echo the sentiments of many that went before. <laughs> hey, um, just real quick, um, and, and I don't want to beat the Constantine Kalimnik horse to death, um, but I think it was a, a good point that was raised. It is the very last thing that they're holding on to. Um, even Adam Schiff deployed that when he was cornered by Morgan, if you'll recall. And, you know, she just kind of let it go. Like, okay. Yeah, you're right. Schiff, he's a Russian spy and, you know, and an agent and Manafort. Yeah. Okay. Like, I really feel like we need a definitive, like one or two sentence counterpunch, you know, like how great would it have been if Morgan had come right back at him after that and said, Oh, you mean uh Constantine you mean the guy that was such an important, you know, riveting central key player in Russiagate that we never heard his name once during the three plus years that you guys were, you know, pounding away at this huge conspiracy that was the biggest story on the planet? You mean that guy, the one that the Mueller team didn't even like ask to interview, made no attempt to talk to? That that one? Like something like that, just to humiliate these people and smack them down because it's the last thing. But we don't have it. Like our side isn't deploying it. I agree with you 100 percent. He's irrelevant. He's meaningless. He's nothing. But yet we're letting them use him as like the the savior of Russia, Russiagate, which is insane to me. I just feel like we may be kind of missing something there. I don't know. I'd I, I just throw that out to the group. Yeah, I mean even like Manafort's like mention in the dossier is pretty limited. And then to, 
to do an offshoot to, of him to Klimnik, I mean, they're, they're really stretching. I mean, Manafort is not, not a good guy. I mean, uh, he was not charged with anything related to Russiagate that was alleged in the dossier. There's no collusion-type charges. Um, I think he, he was convicted of mortgage fraud, I want to say. Um, but, yeah, I, I get your point. I mean, it would be nice to have a counterpunch, but, you know, maybe he is a Russian agent. I, I just don't have any information one way or the other. And I think the, a point to be made is, you know, we learned about Chuck Dolan a few months ago, and Chuck Dolan has a lot of Russian contacts, and it's just not weaponized in the same way that the Democrats weaponize that narrative. Because, you know, okay, Manafort has some, some Russian contacts. That doesn't mean there's collusion. That doesn't mean there's anything that warrants or merits an investigation. Um, <laughs> you know, there, I still haven't seen anything that actually merits an investigation. So what if he shared polling data? headline pulling data from a couple months ago or whatever, like that doesn't merit a massive criminal investigation, you know? And, you know, then we have like Chuck Dolan and he's actually talking to Russians and he's actually communicating and he's got a lot of Russian contacts over there. And, you know, it's just crickets. Like it's, nobody cares about that. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's not a good parallel, but it, I, I just get frustrated with weaponization of, of narratives like that. Yeah, it's a, that, that, that's one that just kind of gets under my skin. And, and like um, the, the uh, I can't remember who it was, but just a, a few callers ago, just, um, you know, uh, he's right. You know, they're, they're, they're clinging on to that. And I just, I feel they really like are. We, need, we need to embarrass them. You know, like we need to have <laughs> something that shames people for even bringing it up. You know, because it seems like that should be pretty easy to do. I and I, I, I may need to go back and reread. But I think it was Aaron Mate. I think he did like a long interview with him, right? And say Aaron hey, Mate anybody, has a great did, piece. Yeah, he's got a great try to contact you. Anybody try to interview you, interrogate you? He's like, nah, no, nah, nobody. So, so if if anything, it sounded like Mueller, FBI, whoever was intentionally not going near the guy so that they could try to use him as like a a virtual patsy, right? there's got to be an easy way to just smack that one down. And I just don't think we're doing it, but uh, yeah. Well, it's all this point contacts. What's that said? Add all the state department contacts. Constantine Kalimnik had in his early days. Yeah. 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 Well, I think this problem is you, you can't shame the shameless. So (laughs) honestly, they don't care. So, you're going to do what the Democrats would do and you go, okay, well, let's talk about all the, you know, all the Denchenko connections or all, you know, you just have to move on. You have to go, I'm not going to convince these people logically because they're not, that's not what they're here for. So you, I, in my opinion, you, you just have to go, look, I, I could explain this to you, but it's not going to work because you're not having an honest intellectual conversation. So let's talk about let, let's move on and go, okay, well, what about these problems? That, that to me is the only, you're just never going to win. Yeah. I had a point I was going to add on to that, but I completely blinked on what it was. So I won't be saying anything else. <laughs> All right. Yes, when you brought up the the multiple Jim Bakers or James Bakers earlier, it made me think about 
in the FBI documents how they had spelled, you know, people's names crazily, but on paper it looked the same. Like James Comey, they had, you know, like done an R and an N together to make it look like an M. I'm not sure I recall that. That would be interesting, though. And I, I just thought about that, you know, while, when we were searching the FBI documents in particular, we might, I'll try to find an example of that and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd happy to take a look at that. That'd be interesting. Okay. okay. Donna, did you have anything else? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I don't know if you guys caught Lee Smith's interview with Devin Nunes this week for his first podcast, but Nunes gave out a shout out to the Sluice Corner, said thank you to everybody for all your help. Just, I don't know if y'all saw, if y'all heard that, but you guys have done a great job and Nunes even recognized all of the work that you've done because you helped their investigation. Just didn't wanted to make sure everybody heard that. Yeah, thank you, and we we definitely appreciate that. And you know, I, I haven't been contributing much, um, and I, I really haven't been contributing all that long either. So, you know, I look at guys like Undercover Huber, who's who was out there in like 2017, and um, you know, Walk of Fire and Fool Nelson, all these guys, and they've been they've been in the trenches for a long time. And I, what I really hope um, for people to take away, you know, th they're not like political actors like these are are brilliant guys but like they're not like they're not really motivated by politics they really saw something that was wrong and they're out there and they're trying to do the right thing and you can say whatever you want about their motivations but the truth is the truth and you know you can't modify the truth to fit a political lens that you want to see it through it's just it's just what it is it's just the facts and I, I, I bring this up pretty frequently. I mean, if you just try to sit back and, and start at the beginning and then see how the narrative has changed, you know, it's really hard to do because it's been such a slow process. But we have come so far from, you know, January 2017 when the dossier came out and, you know, the, the blow up in the, in the media and years of this reporting of like bombshell, right? Bombshell breaking news. Trump's not going to make out, you know, his first term and uh, Trump colluded, Trump lied, all this stuff. And it's like, none of that was true. And then they told us on the other side, oh no, like the, the FISA process. No, no, no. That's totally vetted. You can't abuse that. That's crazy talk. You know, the Nunez menu. Oh no. Nunez doesn't know what he's talking about. And all this stuff has just been debunked step by step. And it's been a, an incredibly long process, but step by step, it's only been going in one direction. It hasn't moved towards collusion. It's moved towards crimes and conspiracies done by the Clintons. And there's just no, there's no refuting that. You can't deny that. And if you just look at it from the, the time and, and, and what's evolved, I mean, that's the conclusion that you come to. There is, you know, there's nothing there with the Russia gate that's falling apart, but there is something there as far as Clinton and their involvement in creating, you know, this scheme and orchestrating these crimes. And 
anyway, starting to ramble there. No, I think that's a great point. If you look back at uh, five years ago, six years ago, and look at the FISA defenders that were like, no, the, the, you, you don't understand how intricate all these, uh, you know, there's no way you could, you could fool the FISA court because everything's double checked and triple checked. And, you know, people like us and, and, you know, Horowitz as well. And, you know, plenty of critical around, but proved that that's bullshit, that all these, all these, uh, you know, Hey, rely on the authority, rely on what we tell you is not trustworthy. You can't just take it at face value. And when they say, Hey, that you, you just rely on this. Your government is doing things right. You should not. You should be a skeptic. You should be a cynic because it's been proven that you should be. Absolutely. I I mean, you can't say it any better than that, right? So hopefully when the story of Russiagate is written, I mean, hopefully hopefully that is what is underscored and nothing else. I don't. I don't care, you know, the thing about Trump saying, oh, Russia, if you're listening, find her emails, which is not the predicate of Rushgate, by the way, um, or any of those comments like that. Like, they were so superfluous to what was actually happening. Um, you know, they don't even deserve to be in the narrative because it, it's just a distraction. And, you know, you try to fight back against these people that, that come up with the narratives, and it's just, it's just hard because they have the massive reach, and they're the ones that, are supposed to have the credibility. I mean, if you go on Wikipedia and you know, you're basically supposed to cite like New York times and Washington post, and you're not supposed to cite like the federalist and the daily caller. And I'm not saying those guys are always right or whatever, but they're more right than CNN was. They're more right than the New York times was. And, you know, I don't know what that says about how we fact check things or what that means for, um, how we discuss topics in everyday lives. And I, I don't know what that bodes for the future, but it is scary that the facts don't stand on their own anymore. I mean, we have the classified documents that the media doesn't even cover. I mean, these are, there's some really troubling questions that deserve to be asked and they're not being asked because the media decided that it doesn't fit the narrative they want to present. They decided that they're going to define what is important for their viewers to know about and they decided um that they're they're going to tailor their their reporting and and everything that they're saying with through a prism through a lens that they want to portray and I, I i'm terrified by what that means because that's not what the free press was really designed to do that's not what it was intended to do so got me back at my soapbox tonight but <laughs> I mean, that's probably all I wanted to say about that. Draft Guru, I'm going to add you. What's going on, man? Draft Guru, go ahead, man. Oh, I think I lost you. I think I kicked you. Sorry. Uh, Willie, go ahead. Willie, are you there? Yeah, I know. When, when you join the requesting, it sort of cuts out for a 
a minute or two. Um, no, I. You you're saying what really worries about, what worries you, what worries me is that there's like a thousand people, who are interested in Spygate. There's. And there's this crossover with people who are involved with elections and we just seem to be this like very small minority of of like active people. Um like so Donna who was on before, I know her from like Georgia election stuff and like previous Spygate, but it we we it's such a small group who are, who actually really care about what's going on and that's what worries me more than anything is that, that the same people who are doing the legwork on on like like Spygate are doing the same legwork on elections and and it just seems a very small group at the moment Yeah, I mean, definitely agree with that. Uh, let's see here. Does anybody else have a, a question or a comment they wanted to, to bring up? All right, I'm going to do my chest fall again, right? So I'll give it another minute or two if anybody has any questions or comments. Otherwise, I might wrap this one up. Made it to three hours. That's not bad, right? So you guys, if it's like your first time with the chat, usually on Thursday nights at 9 o'clock, we, uh, we have like a regularly scheduled chat, and we like to come in and just talk about topics and answer some questions and um, have a whole, whole different sort of uh, slews that – that come in and sometimes we'll get shipwreck or Leslie or some of the others like King or full Nelson in here. Um, whole, whole host of, of, you know, speakers that'll come in. So it's not always just me. You don't have to listen to me all the time. Um, but some really just brilliant analysis and that I'm really happy that we have this regular chat just to be able to hear from these guys. Um, but also whenever they're, if whenever there's like a major event, whether there's an indictment or a key document drop or a news story, uh, you can probably plan on us doing a, a spaces chat that night too. It'll probably be a little bit more focused. Uh, this is more like a generalized chat where we take a lot more questions, but you know, if there's an indictment, obviously it's going to be, you know, hammer time. We're going to be just hammering that topic and, and getting as much analysis as we can. So I uh, hope you guys will come back. Hope you like the chat. Uh, like I said, I'll keep this open for a little bit longer. Otherwise, uh, hey, Daniel, go ahead, man. I got one last question. Um, was just thinking, what, uh, which do you think there are any investigators, FBI investigators, that are potentially vulnerable for, for like going reading too much into these, uh, like allegations and stuff and going like above and beyond, like, like really, you know over investigating what should not be investigated by like blowing through these red lights like you know um 
I don't know, just any of these guys conducting these interviews that, you know, should have known stuff about XYZ. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, great question. Steven Soma's like the primary guy. Like, he's my, you know, he's my focus because he's responsible for most of the errors and omissions that are uh, determined by the IG report to be material. So um, he's responsible for most of them. He knew in August 2016 he got the notification that Carter Page was uh, an agent for the CIA, and he dropped the ball on getting that in the first FISA warrant. And there's been a whole host of other um, events that he was associated with, and it just makes you know you scratch your head like how did he not know? And then I think I think it was Joe Pianca. I should maybe I shouldn't say that so conclusively. I think it was Joe Pianca that. Um, probably should have known based on the September 23rd, 2016 meeting and the October 3rd, 2016 meeting where um, Steele basically brought two completely different stories to the FBI. And on September 23rd, he said that Sergey Milian was like a conduit between Trump and Russia, and he was like using the alpha server. And then 10 days later, on October 3rd, he said, well, actually, Sergey Emilion is like the primary subsource. Like he's the guy that I'm getting all this information from, and uh, I believe it was Joe Pianca was like the supervisor, uh, where reports out of both of those meetings actually went to, and he should have been the one that should have said, "Well, wait a minute, like that doesn't really, that doesn't really make sense. Like he can't really be the the conduit between Trump and Putin, and also be a source for you." Or he should have been like, well, show me something, like give me more information. And um, it, he could have killed this whole thing right then and there, and, and he didn't. So certainly some some issues there. Um, I feel like there's probably more. Uh, Kevin Kleinsmith, I, I think, got off really easy. I think he, he should feel really fortunate to be where he is. Um, but, yeah, there, there's probably more. And then obviously as we get into the Mueller investigation, I mean – those guys, they wiped so many phones. I think they wiped like 60 phones. And one of the most hypocritical things about this entire episode is um, the continued calls to prosecute Trump for obstruction of justice and to prosecute him based on the volume two of the Mueller report, which was like the obstruction side of it. And to use volume two uh, of the Mueller report to do that is just laughable when you consider the Mueller team wiped 60 phones so that they wouldn't be investigated, right? Like, that's just insanity. You, you're going to charge Trump with obstruction and not the, the Mueller team that wiped 60 phones so that they wouldn't be investigated? Like, it's just, it's just insane. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you have any other questions on that. But Daniel, there, you there. Uh, ABC, go ahead, man.
ABC, are you there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Um, hey, how's it uh, going? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for uh, hosting this again tonight. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, I just, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, we've been, you know, researching so many different things, and there's so many different sides of this this entire story. And I think with, you know, Durham, I think we have to make sure that we're not, um, we don't expect like a lot of indictments. Like I think we need to tame our, um, you know, how we think it's all going to come to a conclusion. I think a lot of us aren't probably aren't going to be happy with how it, it actually ends. I'm just worried about, you know, people being really, really disappointed in, in the findings and people not being indicted and the names that we've, you know, all researched, like what if they just, you know, you know, nothing happens with them. They just continue doing what they're doing. I just wonder, you know, what are we going to do? Like when, when all this, uh, you know, when all this uh, ends. Well, I think it's, it's, a good word of caution. I think that's important for everybody to manage their expectations, but I would expect more indictments and I, I would expect actually a pretty substantial number of indictments. And um, I think con- a conspiracy is pretty well defined at this point. Um, and I think, you know, Durham was signaled pretty strongly that people like Joffe and others need to be really concerned, but also I would point to John Ratcliffe and, I've never found Ratcliffe to be an embellisher. Like, I think he's been a pretty straight shooter. Um, He's not hyping a whole lot of stuff. And, you know, he was in a position to actually review these documents. And he he released a bunch of documents to Durham. And he indicated, I mean, based on documents he's seen, he would expect a substantial number of additional indictments. And I'm willing to to place my trust in him. So, you know, if he's saying he expects more, I would take that to the bank and I would, I would expect more too. And I, I don't know if that's like the cyber people that are, have been named or if that's more people at like the FBI, I, I can't tell you that, but um, I would, I would expect some more indictments here. And I, I, you know, I don't know what people are expecting, so I can't say everybody will be happy. But... I think there will be more. There definitely will be more indictments, but I think like some of the big names that we've talked about, like if they don't, get indicted or if you know they're part of the story like you know all the people we've researched they're all part of the story some some way or another but that's not to say that these people will be indicted like you know we've been talking about manos a lot like honestly i don't i don't know what to think about manos i i was reading through you know the last i think part one of the batch that margo released he was talking about you know he's on kid duty he's got a young kid i don't know i've when you read someone's personal emails, you start to like, I don't know if you, you, you see another side of them. You see like their, their personal side. I don't know. It's with Manos. I think I don't see any indictment with him. I just see like a, maybe a, some kind of hearing maybe from Georgia tech. Um, I, 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 if it all pans out, I don't know. He might lose his job. Um, but then again, there won't be any shortage of people who would or, um, or organizations that would want it because I think it, one of the uh, one of the other uh, emails was saying he's someone who's pretty well sought out for positions. So, I mean, we'll have to see what happens. But uh, again, like all the names that we've talked about, like they're all going to be part of the story. Whatever Durham releases, whether it's like a 
a full report, I expect all these names to be there and to be talked about. Um, but, you know, and I think there will be more indictments, but the people, there's some people who we might think will be indicted that won't be indicted and think we have to just, you know, people need to prepare themselves for possibly being disappointed. That's well, really what I, I'm trying to say. You know, I, I'm not saying anything about Mano, so I, I don't know whether he'll be indicted or not. I don't know if he did anything wrong or not. Um, he has to answer why he is affiliated with both the alpha side of things, and he's going to have some questions to answer about why he's involved with some attribution analysis. And maybe the attribution analysis was just a, a proof of concept type thing. Um, but being like, there's something weird there and he's got to answer some questions and he could well not be charged with anything. I'm not saying he will be, I'm not saying he did anything wrong, but he is close enough to this where he's, you know, he's got to answer some questions and, um, you know, I'm not going to make predictions over any individual person that that's going to be indicted, but, um, you know, we've already had massive indictments. So, you know, I don't know what people's expectations are when they're, you know, they want the big names. Well, we've already had big names. Sussman is huge. That's a huge indictment. Danchenko is, is a huge indictment. I mean, those, those are massive characters in this story. So, you know, everybody that we're looking at now is a massive name. Like there's no, there's no small bit characters um, that anybody should be downplaying or being like, Oh, it's only this guy or, Oh, it's only low level people that are going to be indicted. Like there, no, 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 there's, there's no low, low level people here. This is, these are all huge characters in the story. And, you know, I don't think anybody should be disappointed. Like Durham's going to do the best job that he can do. But we all have to keep in mind that these people had years to destroy evidence and to hide evidence. And Durham didn't get involved until years after like the most egregious errors were made. So he's got to do a lot of this based on contextual clues and he's got to get testimony and he needs some people to connect some dots for him. Uh, but I think he's going to do that. Like, I, I think he will bring some indictments Um and, you know, I don't think anybody should be disappointed. Like, is he going to get Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama? I don't know. I'm, like, I'm not going to say that he's not going to get Hillary Clinton. Um, I don't know. But, you know, he's going to do the best that he can, and people will just have to accept it. And there will be some accountability. So, Yeah, I, I, I like what you said there. I think, um, you know, Durham has done a pretty – damn good job and and think of all the all the damn evidence and the the documents that his team of let's you know someone said maybe under 10 people like that's a small amount of people for for how big the story is and how many documents exist and you know like there are so many names in this whole saga there are so many different companies and organizations and and money being transferred there's tons of money in this too and sometimes we don't know who is a, you know, a snake oil salesman or someone who's actually, you know, someone who we can trust. Like there's, there are a lot of characters who I think tr are trying to make themselves seem like good guys, but uh, maybe are, are misleading in some of the things they say or some of their actions or their actions don't match with what they 
what the facts are. So I just think, you know, Durham is doing a very, very good job. He does have a damn, damn tough job. And I think also we have to go back and look at Durham. Look, Durham is, is great. I think one thing that concerned me was the, uh, the CIA torture report. And some people were saying, like, how, how could the CIA not be, you know, held accountable for destroying the documents? Um, and Durham kind of said, you know, there's nothing there. Um, well, they destroyed the documents. That's clearly not good, but no one will be charged for it or anything like that. So I think that's a little concern of mine. But Durham has a tough job, and this is not an easy task that he has. You know, something I worry about is we, we've got all these people on the radar screen and that's that's great. And I you know, if people did wrongdoing and they committed crimes, they should be prosecuted and they should pay the consequences. But to me the biggest thing is how did the system allow this to happen and allow it to go on this long and it would have flown under the radar screen if certain things didn't happen. If you know, if Hillary Clinton won the election None of this, we, we wouldn't be sitting here, none of us, none of us would be listening to this right now. Uh, we'd be in a completely different place. Uh, it was just a happenstance and, and, you know, Trump's good, good effort and good luck that he won this thing, that it got to this point. Um, but we can, we can arrest and we can throw all these people in jail and, and great. But that doesn't change the fact that the system is set up that this could happen and it will happen again with different people. It might be a different FBI director or whatever, but uh, to me, the ultimate, the ultimate most important thing is to stop this from happening again. And that is not to say that people shouldn't be punished because that is part of it is they have to have a fear that, oh, if I get caught doing this, I'll go to jail. Then I may not try to do it. Great. But the system has to be arranged in such a way that this can't happen. That, that, that's my biggest takeaway absolutely i mean that that's so important i i i just it, it's incredible right that such a small group of people can get away with this stuff and you know everybody is going to run cover for them and there's no checks and balances there's no detective controls there's no preventative controls anything they want to do they're just going to run run roughshod over everybody and I hope there's just a massive amount of action in 2023 to get new laws on the books and they need oversight capability. And when people like Senator Grassley send letters about, you know, uh, programs and stuff like they, they need responses and, you know, we need some laws that hold government accountable, government officials accountable as people, not as an entity where, you know, nobody gets held accountable. Like, if you're in a position of power in government and you, you know, abuse and, and take away, violate somebody's civil rights, you should go to jail. Like it, it shouldn't be, Oh, well, the government messed up. Like, no, no, no. Like you signed off on this FISA warrant. You should go to jail. And I, I don't know. I, I pretty disillusioned with our, our government right now, but, um, Hopefully, hopefully we get some reforms out of it. All right, guys. I, uh, 
I've been working long days and I, I wake up pretty early in the morning. So I think I'm going to go ahead and call it a night here. I, um, we might have a, a chat between now and next Thursday night. It depends on what news will break. Um, so stay tuned for that. And uh, if nothing else, next Thursday at 9 o'clock, we'll probably have a chat. So hope everybody comes back. And thank you for coming tonight. I hope you all have a good night. And I will see you later. So take it easy, folks. Ending it here.